0: The Lifestylist, episode 164, featuring Julie Pyatt.
1: I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. Man, oh man, Organifi has done it again, you guys. They've come up with another delicious, super-powered, healthy drink mix. This is called Red Juice. It's packed with antioxidants and 11 superfoods, including reishi and cordyceps. So this is a really potent and easy-to-use and delicious red juice powder. So imagine you go to, you know, a place that sells like a pressed juice or something and you pay 10 bucks for a juice. Well, each one of these juices, which is much easier to deal with and much more portable, by the way, costs you only three bucks per juice. And it's of course totally organic. So this is Organifi Red Juice. My new favorite thing to do like midday, I'll usually do like a green juice in the morning to kind of get alkaline, then a red juice midday. And then I do their uh, Organifi Gold later on in the evening because it's super calming. So these guys are kind of coming out with products to cover the whole rainbow and they all uh, have different uses at different time in the day. So if you want to check out the Red Juice or any other fantastic Organifi product, here's what you do. Go to organify.com forward slash Luke. That's organify spelled with an I. Organify.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code lifestylist at checkout and you will save yourself 20%. So it's a really keeping fat discount for you over at Organify. Check them out. Their stuff is fantastic and I use it literally every day. If you're into health, you've probably heard a lot about gut health and gut testing, getting your gut biome tested and all of this stuff. And it's a really great idea to do that. I've done a lot of testing, but one issue with a lot of the at-home tests is that they do not test your fungal species thoroughly. That's where this company Biome comes in. They send you a test. You swab a little sample. It's not as bad as it sounds, trust me. A lot of the tests require huge samples. I won't go into that, especially if you're eating. So you basically swab a little sample, you mail it into biome, and then you get your results, which not only tells you about your bacterial load and which ones are in there, how much, all that, but also the fungal, which is really important. You have to have the right amount and the right varieties of fungus in your gut in order to be healthy, because your gut is like the master regulator of so many aspects of your health, including your mood. If you're like depressed, it might be because your neurotransmitters are jacked up because your gut's jacked up. You might have leaky gut. You might have the wrong bacteria. It's a very complex issue. So go to biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist and order your home testing kit. Mail it in. They're going to look at your results, put you on the phone with a live nutritionist that's going to make recommendations based on what they find in the test. So that's BiomeHealth.com forward slash Lifestylist. Once you get over there, use the code Lifestylist to check out and save 15% off your order. That's BiomeHealth.com spelled B-I-O-H-M slash Lifestylist and use the code Lifestylist for 15% off. Let's find out what's going on inside your gut. Let's fix it and get healthy. Senora, senoritas, que pasó? Welcome back to the Lifestylist Podcast. Man, I'm so stoked to bring you this episode. Just when I think I can't outdo a show because the last week was so awesome, I drop another one. And not to toot my own horn, all credit goes to the guest, honestly, or the chemistry had between myself and said guest, you know, the, the information that was downloaded from the ethers, as it were. But I got to say, Having sat down and uh, had this conversation with Julie Pyatt, AKA Shrimati, uh, for a couple hours at her house that she shares with her husband, Rich Roll, uh, during the conversation, I was like, this is one of my best episodes ever. Like, I just know when it is. And having heard a bit of it now, doing my intros and outros and all of that, I was right. Ha ha ha. I love being right. No, I'm just kidding. That would be ego, right? We talk about ego a lot in this conversation. But no, seriously, uh, amazing woman. She is my sister from another mista. Julie is just, I don't know, man, we vibe. We're on the same page. Like I get her, she gets me. Very easy person to talk to, but she's just such a wealth of information. So clear, so present, such a powerful woman, so grounded in her Just divine feminine energy, but at the same time, just very challenging. Uh, Not someone that's going to just give you soft answers. I mean, I went as deep as I could possibly go and she was right there, toe to toe, going to bat, hitting it out of the park. So I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. Uh, Before we do that, I want to let you know about next week's show, which is a total departure from this. It's another just massive deep dive in the world of medicine and science, where we're going to be talking about something called deuterium and deuterium depletion. The short uh, story is that this deuterium stuff um, builds up in your body and causes almost every metabolic disease and getting it out of your body is likely to cure, if not lead you to curing and healing yourself from those diseases. And that's with Dr. Q. Collins and Dr. Laszlo Boros. So this is the most powerful health hack you've never heard of. Deuterium depletion next Tuesday. I don't care what kind of diet you're on, what kind of food you eat, how into health you are, you need to hear next week's episode. So in order to do so, please subscribe to this podcast. Makes it super easy. My favorite shows... I just click subscribe right on my little podcast app there. And then every week I get those uploaded to the app so I never have to worry about missing one. So just subscribe to the Lifestylist podcast and Problem Solved, you'll catch next week's show and every show to follow. All right, next up, we've got a couple events that I'm super pumped about. Actually, this one here is out by um, Julie's house um, in Malibu Canyon. It's called Mercado Sagrado, and that's going to be October 13th and 14th. I will be doing a talk there about meditation and mindfulness and many of the topics that I actually discussed with Julie in this episode. However, over that whole weekend, I'm also going to be presenting Luke's Biohacking Lounge, where I'm going to be bringing all of the crazy technology that I talk about all the time, the amp coil, the molecular hydrogen machine by Vital Reaction, the Nano-V, all of my bells and whistles and gadgets and supplements. I'm bringing all that junk out to the location and I'm going to create a lab or a lounge where you guys can come in and try all that stuff. So that's Mercado Sagrado, October 13th and 14th. Fantastic events, one of my favorites in the world. Then on October 25th, I'll be out in New York City at Whitma Live, which incidentally is where I met Julie. I think the first time was at the Whitma in uh, LA a few months ago. So Whitma Live is going to be fantastic. It's at the Assemblage in New York, and I'll be leading a panel there on flow states and consciousness and things like that. And then finally, on October 27th, I'll be doing a birthday event. That's right. Yours truly is turning 48. I want you to come hang out with me and spend the night with me. I'm going to be doing a very special workshop at Rama, New York City, on the Lower East Side. And when I say special, I do mean special. This is going to be the deepest spiritual experience that I've ever shared with a group of people. I'm going to be busting out all of my tricks, some of my new kundalini yoga training that I've been immersed in for a while now, I'll be doing some breath work. We're going to be getting down to the high love, or should I say rising up to the high love? I think that's what it's called. I called this one the high love experience. Yes, and it's going to be a love fest. So please come join me at one of those events. I'd love to meet you. It's great to sit here and talk to a microphone alone in my studio, but it's really cool when I get to meet listeners to the show. So don't be shy. Come up and say hi. Come to the events, man. Come hang out with me. I'm, I'm a normal guy. I'm very approachable. i love to meet you and get to know who you are. You know a lot about me. You know a lot about my guests. I want to know you. So go to lukestory.com forward slash events. That's lukestory.com forward slash events. And you can click right through to any of those events and get your tickets and get it all sorted out. All right. So Julie Pyatt, AKA Shrimati, is an author, podcast host, amazing plant-based chef, Motivational speaker, meditation guide, yoga teacher, and singer. She is a true renaissance woman, you guys. And uh, man, as I said, I just I don't even want to talk about the episode. I'm I'm hesitant to even rattle off what we talk about, but it's kind of the format of the show, so I'm going to do that. But I'll just tell you. Man, just listen to the show. You're going to freaking love this one. We started out with a grounding ceremony, a little meditation. So don't listen to this one when you're driving, perhaps, I think. Maybe might not be totally safe. How Julie reconciled her relationship with her father, going through past life regression every week for two years. Crazy story there. We talk about what is addiction and how do we fix it? The fact that if we do not embody our entire life form, someone or something else will, scary stuff. Exploring the most efficient, minimal, and powerful expression of your brand. Why Moby doesn't read any comments about himself online. The fact that if you're posting on social media about meditating, you're not meditating. If you're posting about hiking, you're not hiking. So we take a, a look at our behavior and uh, compulsive use of social media and devices. Then we talk about getting vulnerable and open and sharing extremely personal information in a public space like a podcast and how we can use that to heal ourselves as well as others. Then we talk about finding polarity between the masculine and feminine energies in a relationship. And we really actually talk a lot about her relationship and her kids and being a parent. And uh, I got a lot out of that conversation because she has a fascinating relationship with Rich Roll, who's of course a huge author and former podcast guest on this show and a host of his own podcast. And they just have a fascinating relationship. So it's really neat to learn about that. And then we talk about some of my most frequently used curse words and uh, why I'm having such a difficult time stopping using them. And then who gave Julie her spiritual name, Srimati, what relevance it holds for her and why she doesn't go by it all the time. Why sexuality is so out of balance on our planet and what to do about it. So you can see in this episode, man, we really talk about some very meaningful topics. And I would say just in general, we're talking a lot about mindfulness, personal development, personal growth, spirituality, but in a very down-to-earth, realistic way. So it brings me the utmost pleasure to bring you this conversation with Julie Pyatt. Ladies and gentlemen, Lifestyleist Podcast listeners, one and all Uh, Julie Pyatt, a.k.a. Srimati, is here with me, and she's about to lead us in a little grounding, opening meditation slash ceremony uh, to get us going here. So listen up. If you're driving, pull over now. If you're not, close your eyes and dive in. Thank
0: you. Okay, so I'm just really honored to be here. It's such a sacred blessing to be able to have the privilege to exchange energy with Luke today. And so before we begin, let's just take a moment and focus our energy as we bring all of our awareness into this present moment. Let's connect with our breath as we take a deep, long inhale. And then release it with a relaxed exhale. And once again, inhaling. And exhaling, relaxing, feeling all of your awareness, focusing into this moment, this energetic exchange. And one more time, inhaling. And exhaling, relaxing. And as we open the field in sacred service to the highest expression of the expanded presence of Luke's story and Srimati, To collaborate, to co create in exchange for the highest divine expression, sharing, activation, initiation, and inspiration for everybody listening. We ask that everyone tuning in from across the multiverse, both in body and out of body, be joined in harmony, in beauty, in love. It is with great joy that we begin this conversation and may we open to the most expanded organic living like code and so it is
1: I wanna hire you to do every podcast recording (laughs) just be in my back pocket. I'm like, okay, before we start, we gotta get grounded. That was beautiful. Thank you. I'll do a little
0: recording for you.
1: You know, Seriously. thank
0: you for inviting me to do that. And it's really super relevant in my life right now. And what I'm finding is that we all have this amazing energetic group or, or energetic, I want to say, resource that we can tap into, that we can really utilize. And if you're like me, you get so busy and, you know, we're always in the task. That we often forget to just take a moment. Just take a moment. So thank you for asking me to do yeah, that. Yeah,
1: absolutely. There's a, I I was listening to someone the other day, one of these it's Tony Robbins or Brendan Bruchard, one of these personal development guys, and they mm. were talking about resetting your energy between transitions throughout your day. Mm. And it's something I've been trying to practice. Well, not trying, I have been practicing. Is so, say, I have a meeting with one person over here, and then I've got to jump in my car, go over here, see the next person, et cetera. Before I jump into the next thing, I take a few moments and I just breathe. I get in gratitude. Mm. I sense that field of love and I bring that into the environment. But sometimes when there's a lot going on, such as today, I mean, those of <laughs> those people that are watching on social media or this YouTube video later, you can't see the other side of what we're seeing, but there's lights, there's three cameras, there's mm. podcast equipment. And I have my boy Mikey here helping me out, but still I'm, I'm in technician mode. And so it's really nice to be able to have a grounding moment and get into my soul, into my spirit, to have a human connection and kind of leave all of that technical stuff behind and go into the vortex that we're about to enter into. So it's a great, it's a great practice. And I think it's something that we could all use more of.
0: Super beautiful. And I mean, I liken it to, you know, tuning... Tuning the experience and gathering all of us, everybody watching, you and me, and actually tuning us to a like frequency.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of people, too, probably don't realize that many performers or people that are in the public eye in whatever capacity have practices to prepare them, whether they be an athlete, mm-hmm. the host of a TV show, again, Tony Robbins. I mean, you can watch the documentary on him and he, you know, he's got all the, the trampoline and the breathing exercise and stuff. And and seeing those things for me is very validating because I'm doing that stuff all the time before kind of the main event of the day, whatever that is in this yeah. case, being the podcast, I'm in my car doing all sorts of breath work and chanting and praying and getting myself pumped up and I think it's really important for people to understand when they perhaps see someone like you that just appears very zen and has their shit together and is bringing this great energy that there are practices that enable that capacity it's not just like oh yeah I'm just on all the time.
0: Yeah definitely. I mean it's a whole it's a whole way of of getting up in the morning. It's the way you get right. up in the morning. It's the way your feet your feet hit the floor in the morning. So yeah, it's a constant thing and and all throughout the day.
1: You know, people ask me sometimes, how do you find time to meditate twice a day? And I'm like, how do you not find time? I would be a freaking maniac uh-huh. if I didn't meditate. It's very rare that I miss. Every once in a while, I miss my afternoon meditation just because mm-hmm. whatever, I'm busy at six or seven and I don't like to do it too late. But the morning one, mm-hmm. oh my God, the world is a much better place because I take that time and definitely just be with myself. And those are the passive kind of practices mm-hmm. that help keep us centered so uh, funny thing is we're sitting here in your home. Uh, it's also the home, those of you listening, of our amazing husband, Rich Roll, who was kind enough to be on my podcast, mm. I think in the first 10 episodes or something, it was really um, something I'm very grateful for. I forgot to mention that to him when he was here, but you know, I was asking people that are kind of prominent in, in various fields at the time when I started to be on my show. And I don't think at the time I'd even put out an episode. I was just kind of putting the first 15 in the can or something. Mm. And he was one of my guests. But when Rich was on my show, he had sent me and the show producer his media kit, his beautiful PDF. And this house that we're in now was in the photographs. And I thought, God, there's something about that house It looks very familiar. I, I feel like I've been there, but how could, why would I have been to his house? We just met. And he's lived there for a long time. And then uh, when he finally came over, he said, dude, there's something about your house. I feel like I've been there. It's really weird. Was it in this lifetime? And he said, yeah, we used to rent it out, or I guess still do, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, for locations, for photo shoots. And I was like, holy shit. I came here must have been 15 years ago and did style when I was a fashion stylist and did a shoot for Microsoft or something like that. So perfect. Yeah, and I remember pulling up the driveway and just going, "Oh my god, I need to make this happen someday."
0: Oh. And
1: it's funny now cuz I've been living in the city right in the mm-hmm. middle of LA for 30 years. Wow. I moved there when I was 19. And now I just have this such a strong i mean it's almost it's not even a calling it's a nagging
2: mm-hmm. it's like
1: that movie get out it's like <laughs> i get this message like luke get, get the out. f out and where i imagine myself is uh, in topanga out here nice. somewhere removed from the city mm-hmm. so it's beautiful that you've been able to manifest this for yourself and your family and uh yeah. it's really nice to be here in the capacity that i am today isn't it it's just funny you know you think back to earlier times in life, if you would have told me whatever that was 15 years ago when I was an <laughs> assistant, like, yeah, someday you'll have this thing called a podcast. It's kind of like a radio show, but there's no boss and you get to just do your thing and have yeah. conversations with people about God. Uh, I would have never believed that that was possible. So, so yeah, anyway, just crazy. A, yeah, well, welcome. Trip. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. trip down memory lane mm-hmm. is just such a great space. It's very I wish, cool. I mean, the people on YouTube, you can see it. Maybe I'll do a little handheld Shots, but it's just, Mm -hmm. oh my God, what a gorgeous place to live and share energy. It is so as we jump in here, what are you most excited about in your in your personal life, in your career, relationship, Mm -hmm. family? What's going on with you that's just like got you on fire? Oh my God, that's
0: such a big question. Well, what I'm excited about now is actually I've come to a completion period with the work that I've been doing with my husband, Rich Roll. I've been, I just published three books in the last year and a half. I'm a vegan chef and I've been working with him. Uh, sort of spreading the message of plant-based uh, lifestyle and health and wellness. Um, I've also guested on his podcast over, I think, 50 times and launched my own podcast, Divine Throughline. So that's all been really, really great. And I've come to this juncture in my evolution where I am now stepping into my own brand so the things that are on tap for me coming up is moving into my spiritual work in a much deeper way. So I'm working on actually a new strategy with Divine Line that's going to be very directed. So I'm going to sort of lay out a program that's going to have a path and a trajectory over the weeks and months and really provide people with tools to clear trauma, to activate their own divine blueprint. So that's... Very, very beautiful. Um, I just turned in the proposal for my memoir, actually two days ago. So my agent has that. And uh, so I'll be writing my memoir this year. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's... Uh, you know, I don't know if you know, but I've been married three times and uh, was a fashion designer and was in interior design. And uh, it seems like I've lived nine lives inside. I totally relate you, you to that. You got it right. I haven't
1: <laughs> been married three times, but but I've lived a lot of lifetimes. A lot so of lifetimes. Within and, this one, yeah. Yeah.
0: So, and uh, and there's been, you know, I'm old enough now that the fruits of ceremony of, of having a spiritual perspective, of holding that Christ vision of someone in their greatest essence, have come to fruition, and I've seen things sort of develop. and so um so anyway, so I'm very I feel very blessed and just um, it's it's very meaningful to be able to tell that story and telling it is a devotional act to my own life, you know, to be able to have the privilege of actually writing it, of actually telling that. In addition to that, I'm launching my own brand, which is going to be a collection of products. Um, one of those is my cheese I published a book last year which called... I just
1: had some variation of yeah you had a little and also when we were at that uh, that
0: yeah. gathering
1: in Malibu where, where we it is... was
0: for the wild it was the well, it was the... Conscious the... City Guide um, was it
1: Lautner or who built that, ha- that it, house no it uh... was
0: um, it was the Wright Ranch oh yeah yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright yeah. yeah fantastic property but you showed up I was like this man this girl's cool you, you showed up with this beautiful uh, picnic basket you had your kids and you you start busting out these um, like vegan mozzarella balls and fresh basil. And I was like, this is better food than I've ever seen at a bar- like It a- wasn't a barbecue, but it's an outdoor event. You brought a whole kitchen basically is the story. And well, I was like, I that want... cheese was bomb though.
0: Thank you. Thanks so much.
1: And it didn't bother my digestive system either. Sometimes oh, some ha- plant-based foods, some raw foods, my body does not. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's my dosha or whatever but some of them are hard for me to tolerate no
0: i think it's fillers and i think i think it's a lot of what's in those and one of the things that i was very um very happy about with my cheese um, exploration is that that was my experience creating the cheese over two years i never had a stomach ache and i never had a problem assimilating so i know the ingredients are very pure and I know, I mean, I'm happy to hear you say that because it's almost like you get the taste and the tangy and the cheesy and the creamy. The You had fresh mozzarella. Yeah. Um, it's quite extraordinary. It was
1: like a caprese situation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was amazing. I,
0: it was funny because we were just in Italy doing our retreat, Plant Power Italia. Um, and since it was on the heels of the release of my last cookbook we really went is to gorgeous, town. Which gorgeous,
1: by the way. Thank you. No ass kissing, I swear to God. That book is <laughs> Thank freaking... You. I have a collection of cookbooks from people Aww. that I've interviewed in my mm-hmm. kitchen and I, I don't cook. Of- I mean, literally, I have a frying pan and I have a Vitamix and that's the extent of my whole culinary yeah. skills. But I look at those books and like I was telling you earlier, I go, man, I have a collection of cookbooks. I just need a good mate that loves to cook. Okay. And I'd be like, just make all that stuff and we're good. Like so I have the, I have the recipes and that book's just so beautiful. And so many people like... Um, Shiva Rose yeah. and and high vibrational beauty from yeah, the cat, Carolyn the yeah. Cat Beauty Girls like every, all of you were just putting out the most beautiful mm. books not only good content but just so well designed and just so high vibe so it's a great book I want everyone to go out and get it
0: happy to be in that in that tribe for sure it was right? fun actually serving the the cheese to the Italians because I hadn't like I knew I uh, created were you nervous? <laughs> actually I I didn't even think about it and then I heard that like the coach for uh, Juventus is it Juventus Juventus I'm know. not in sports it's it's Me like, either. Uh, sorry Richard, okay good no. yeah Richard no it's yeah. Juventus I think it's like the top soccer organization okay he was cooking out of my cookbook and then the Italians wow. were freaking out over the mozzarella I was shocked I couldn't believe it Oh,
1: uh, that's awesome it was really and what cool. is is what's your cheese book called this cheese, this is, cheese nuts? is nuts this cheese is nuts yeah and
0: the brand will be this cheese is nuts but cool. the one thing I wanted to tell you about yeah. because of your fashion background is I was a fashion designer. I closed my company in 97. And I think that's when you began. Yeah, yeah. and <laughs> you, you got know, out
1: and I picked up the torch. Yeah, you were like, yeah. I'll
0: go right in. Uh, so I had a women's collection. I had a hundred styles. I sold Neiman's, Nordstrom, Macy's. Wow, legit. Like legit. I was legit. Like wow. all over where, yeah. you know, cover women's wear daily, like all that stuff. Damn. And then I, when I left, I was like, I'm never doing that again, ever. Like it just was so relentless. Um, And recently, uh, as part of my spiritual exploration, I've been really getting in touch with the artist in me. So I'm a painter, a sculptor, I draw, you know, I also was a fashion designer. And all of this has come full circle. And I actually have a a tribe, a close tribe of three other individuals that are very expressed in design at a very high level. And uh, we're going to form a collective and we're going to launch a new version of couture sort of fulfilling everything that we love about great design without going into the waste, the destruction... The awesome. you know all of the oh, pillaging yeah. of whatever yeah. you do, yeah. so um, anyway, so it was kind of beautiful that you asked me to be on your show now, and you were coming now because right now oh, everything awesome. fashion is up for me. So this right. is like right. like when I leave you today, I'm going to the Getty to the to a fashion event there. So it's very that's, interesting and yeah. literally tw- like what is it like 1990? It's been like a long time. Yeah. So
1: that's um that's interesting because. It seems like you're revisiting it from more of an artistic point of view and having some meaning behind it, which took me a long time in fashion. I was a stylist for many years and honestly, I was kind of embarrassed that I was... I mean, this is before it was cool, but people used to ask me what I did and I'd be like, I'm a musician because I play too and I used to be in bands and I thought being a stylist was so lame and then it started to become popular and more widely known outside of the industry and I thought, wow, I have kind of a cool job, maybe... It's not that lame. And you're like, I'm a think,
0: stylist. Well, yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I was
1: like, oh, that's the first thing I'll tell you. Musician, whatever. But no, the uh, the point being is in the art of it, it took me some years to kind of disassociate the fashion industry from the mm-hmm. vapid materialism of all of that brand name hierarchy, weird stuff, you know, the cast system of what you wear. I just always thought that was ridiculous. And, uh, And it wasn't until I started really learning more about fashion because I realized that I had to become more competent in order to become more successful. And then eventually I saw the art. I started looking at Comme des Garçons and all of these really interesting brands, and then you go into Barney's and touch and feel that clothing. There's a different energy to it. Mm-hmm. But that's leaving aside the whole ecological thing too. I mean, that's like we could—that's a, a It's right. another conversation. But mm-hmm. even now, whenever mm-hmm. I get clothing, I always clean it before I wear it, just because of the chemicals and fire mm-hmm. retardants and the, mm-hmm. you know, the weird stuff they put—the anti-wrinkle treatments and dyes and all this crazy stuff. So. Um, I'm a huge supporter of the art of fashion, but also ecologically sound production of clothing that has a high vibe and is well-designed. So I'm excited about that because... You know, I hate to say this, but a lot of the clothing that's eco-friendly isn't really in my style. Right. You know, it's exactly. like, I go, oh, that's good for you. Right. Congratulations. I'm yeah. not wearing it though. Yes. I'm still going to go back to... But you know, I think
0: that's something, the thing that I've been led to in my spiritual exploration is really honoring the fact honoring the fact that I have this, t- this taste level, the fact that I love these environments. The, and really, part of my mission is to bring beauty to the world, is to bring beauty first to myself and then to the world. So I went through a stage like early on in my spiritual path where I was like, okay, I have to shave my head and wear a robe. And then I was like, that's just another outfit it's just that kind of outfit it's still an outfit right so i've learned to you know just really embrace that and just own it you know it's okay and we'll have to see how this collective plays out but the intention is to you know couture like i'll pitch it to you now and see and see what you think so couture normally is a manipulation it's a spinning of reality and it's a false truth that's put on somebody to try to manipulate them to spend an absorbent amount of money on something, right? To gain an image.
1: Yeah, and there's a scarcity model within it too because there's a finite number of those pieces and they're not available to everyone at all times. And so if
0: you get it, then you're special, blah, blah, blah. So what I'm working with in my art is the same thing that we started this podcast and how we began is I had an experience creating medicinal art for a client who commissioned me to paint for him for four months. And I went into meditation every day, and I channeled his highest directive into these paintings. And they were life transformative. And so what I know is that as artists, we're missing an entire opportunity to use ceremony with art, art, music, whatever it is you do, with this intention to create an actual elevated quantum result. And so with this team of people, we're mixing a uh, very developed awareness of the unseen energies, um, sincere heart and devotion for the highest outcome for an individual. Not, not a calculated, not I want to make this to get money or get things, but really what would be your highest energy supportive to you mixed with another artist who's channeling words in certain configurations mixed with one of the best designers on planet Earth. (laughs) And so we're spinning like a new version of couture. Yeah, there'll only be one in the entire world. It will be expensive, but it will be a medicinal talisman that will actually catapult you on your mission. Damn. Do you like it? I'm in. I love it. It's very
1: cool. I'm also someone who appreciates the consciousness and energy of all things, yeah, right? I mean, you know, the orchid has a certain calibration of energy, a certain buzz. And there's something I talk about a lot in fashion, actually, um, with my business school of style, which teaches people how to become a fashion stylist is to help them understand, um, variance within the scale of quality in clothing. And that it's great if your client can only afford H&M, like you get H&M. But if your client can afford Dior, you get them Dior. And yeah. I always encourage them to just go into some of those high-end stores and try things on and get a feel for it. It's not just the label or the price tag. There's a certain energy because of the care that goes into constructing those garments and designing them. And so I truly believe that everything has a level of energy, any type of art. I mean, that's why you you know, even, even something like graffiti that to one eye would look like a mess on the side of a building to someone who's able to perceive the energy of something. If it's not done in a way that's disrespectful to the owner of the building, there's certain energetic and karmic confines to that. But even like what might appear like the ugliest street art to someone still has an inherent value. Right.
0: Absolutely. And so
1: I love exploring that and that that's my language. And I I think a lot of that for me has been, um, I perceived that through music because mm. earlier in my life when I was having so much turmoil inside and just so much emotional pain and suicidal ideation and homicidal ideation. And just, I just hated life. The only music that resonated me with, with me was like punk rock and metal, you know? Mm. And now every <laughs> once in a while, I try to put on something like that and I'll just, oh, I'm going to get into it and just go back to 14 years old. And it's like, Oh God, <laughs> one song I'm kind of into it. And I'm like, dude, put on some mantra or right. classical. It's just, I'm at a different vibrational match exactly. to that. So yeah, so that's, cool. that's really neat stuff. So um, God, there's so many things I want to cover with you. And I'm, I love it when I sit down with a guest and I'm like, so do you have a hard out? Like, do you have a publicist around that's going to kick me out of here? You're like, no, let's go. Cause I have a long list of things that I want to cover with you mm-hmm. because you're a wealth of information. And as you said, you've lived a few lifetimes within one. So there's so many different areas uh, that I want to cover, but you mentioned doing your type of biography book and, what I know about your life, which is a little, I find very interesting. So I want to take us back here to you at nine years old, moving from a house in the mountains in Colorado and ending up in Anchorage, Alaska in a tract home.
0: Hmm. I find
1: what little I know of that story interesting. I'd like to dive deeper into your How did past. you even
0: get that? I suddenly feel like you've done this like extra special dimensional research. I'm like, did I tell anybody that? <laughs> I know things. So you know, he's, he's dialed in. Okay, I'm impressed. So, okay. So you want me to start there? How yeah, I made it there? Yeah. Well-
1: Because, you know, you talked about your memoir and I, I find people's stories um, mm-hmm. interesting for a number of reasons. A, because the hero's journey within each story from someone who's been able to transcend challenges mm-hmm. in their life, I think holds so much value for listeners. And I have a sense that in that journey, there's some challenges there's that you some, overcame.
0: Definitely. So I'm the youngest of five kids and uh, my parents um, were very adventurous individuals. My mom's from Chile, and my dad is from Texas, and they actually met uh, in South America. My dad was a very Indiana Jones type of guy, um, pilot, um, you know, crashed planes, was rescued from sharks, mapped the jungles of the Amazon. And I'm going to tell his story because it's really, really profound, is My mom was, um, her father left her family when she was 16. And in Chile, they were of of an upper class and divorce was very, it was not done. And so when this happened, it was quite a shaming of her in her community. And she had to support her sister and her mother at age 16. So my mom spoke English quite well, uh, and she ended up getting a job as a teletype secretary in an American company. And she fell in love with an American engineer and was set to be married to him. And one day, a month before the wedding, she received a message that her fiancé had drowned in a boating accident. My dad was in the Amazon mapping the jungles for the same company. And he was this man's replacement. And my mom tells the what? story. Yeah. Oh
1: my God. It's crazy. My
0: mom tells the story that when he walked through the door, she knew that was her husband. So she married my dad. And, Are they still alive? Uh, my mom is still alive. My dad passed away two years ago, but they oh. were married for 66 years. Oh, interesting. So it's, yeah. Okay. Up until, and had five kids. And so my dad brought her back to Texas and my mom left her entire family, you know, in Chile to come to a new land. And, you know, like there was a an article in the paper when she arrived, like it was like she was an alien,
1: you know. That totally throws out my theory that in order for a marriage and a long-term partnership to last, that you need to spend a really long time getting to know that person no. before you dive in.
0: I'll tell you no to that as well. Okay. Yeah, it okay. can be very immediate. So. So anyway, so my dad was always, um, he went to the School of Mines, he was an engineer, he was a Navy pilot, um, he uh, he wanted to move to Alaska. At age 45, he wanted to leave a corporate job at Martin Marietta Company uh, and move to Alaska.
1: He was an avid hunter and fisherman, yeah, right? Avid, avid
0: yeah, avid hunter and fisherman. So right. he literally packed up his travel all and took my older brother and they left, they drove to Alaska And he left us in Colorado for two years while he went up with my brother and got his business together. And then he sent for us. And my mom loaded four kids and a dog, a pointer dog, uh, into a GMC Hornet, and we drove from Colorado all the way up to Seattle.
1: I feel like a Hornet is a really small car. It's a pretty small car. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay.
0: So we drove to Alaska. So that's how I ended up making it to Alaska. And we had grown up in this idyllic mountain community, which reminds me a lot of where I am now and is a lot of the reason why. Where was
1: that in Colorado? It was
0: in, next to Genesee. Do you know where Genesee is?
1: I feel like I do. I used to live in uh, outside of Aspen, and you know where the flying saucer
0: house is? Um, yeah, right there. Yeah, but on yes. the other side of the highway.
1: Oh, uh, off the seventy. Yeah. So in it, between Glenwood Springs and Denver.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. In a in a community called Paradise Hills.
1: Ah, okay. When I was a kid, my grandmother lived um, not far from there in a place called Estes Park. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we used to go get spring water and stuff in those mountains around mm, there. Yeah. So anyway, that's carry on.
0: Another. So um yeah so we moved we moved to Alaska it was I was very excited to move I was game into it um my older brothers and sisters were really devastated because they had made the cheerleading squad and you know the wrestling team and all these things and they were just torn out of you know it was the days where you didn't really ask your kids what they wanted to do you just took them So when I arrived There weren't any family council meetings was no meetings. family council meetings <laughs> unlike today Yeah um yeah so I I ended up in Alaska and it was very disappointing. It was a very, not very pretty city. It w- it rained, I think, 30 days when we arrived in August and we had no furniture and we slept on, you know, just the floor. And then, so it was kind of a drag, honestly, you know, people hear Alaska and they think, oh, it's amazing. Um, it was dark a lot of the time. So it was pretty depressing.
1: Yeah. That's far north. I've been to Alaska. It's... It's another universe up there. Just energetically it's you're on a different planet almost too.
0: Definitely. Yeah. And also I would say that my dad for all of his love of the outdoors, it was something that he did solo. So it wasn't like we're going to gather up all the family and you know go out He didn't to... take your kids hunting and fishing No. And stuff? No. He would take off. Like he would go out in the bush for a month and wow. you know come back with a bear that he shot and skinned and Do
1: you think you ending up where you are now living this very plant-based lifestyle <laughs> has anything to do with that
0: <laughs> I just think i was I was like this my dad okay. and I had a very interesting he's been the main the main relationship that I came in to reconcile in my life and it's taken me all these years to actually even realize that so I was not my dad's favorite i was he was an engineer two plus two equals four and I would say dad two plus two is 22. And he would get furious, like just complete, like, what are you talking about? And I remember when he came, even when he came to my first fashion show, like, you know, I just launched this collection. He he just, he couldn't talk. Like he couldn't believe that I had manifested all of that. So I did blow his mind quite a lot. And he loved me. You know, he was a a devoted father. We just were not alike. And he didn't like anything of India, yoga, you know, none of it. Um, So we spent a lot of, I had a lot of hurt over that, and that led to a lot of promiscuous early relationships with boys trying to make that connection. And I was like, oh, I'm going to find this love, you know? So in my teens in Alaska, which was really a community of a lot of drug use because it's a gateway to the East— so I was slipped my first. And weed was legal there too. Oh, and right? weed was legal there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. God, I would have loved that. People had like grow closets yeah. everywhere. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. you know, and we, we had like the, we called it tie, tie sticks. Tie sticks. Yeah, yeah tie, sticks, tie sticks. Like all red and hairy, yeah, like yeah. all that. Wowie, right?
1: wowie. That's all the that. 70s weed shit. <laughs> but yeah. They
0: had this one pot that was grown in Alaska in, uh, in Wasilla, which is where Sarah Palin is from. Okay. But they have the intense, it's the intense light 24/7 so the carrots grow this big and the tomatoes oh, wow. are this big like it's crazy and so the pot is like huge and they call it, they call it Matanuska Thunderfuck
1: <laughs> nice <laughs> that's the that's, name of it oh that's amazing
0: so anyway so it was this just this kind of crazy life and um and and I was trying to plug that in and also I was a very independent very old soul child and so you know I probably dictated a lot of the yeah, I was happy I didn't have a lot of supervision. Like, I preferred it. I preferred my parents not coming to my, you know, track meets or, you know, I, I had it handled. I had my life pretty much handled. Uh, but the other really crazy thing is that I hiked for hours in the wilderness in Alaska, completely unsupervised, with no water, no cell phone, no no bear spray,
1: right? literally nothing. That's what comes to mind to me is that, did you see that... Um that documentary film uh, Grizzly Man I think it was called I don't think I did oh god it was about this you know like uh, bear whisper sort of fellow that did really unsafe things in relationship to grizzly bears in Alaska and right. uh, oh, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the ending but it didn't turn out so well for him yeah, that's, <clears> but that's when I think of yeah. that area of of the world it's I just think of bears everywhere <laughs>
0: it's so I mean? weird it's like, is that you know as a parent now you know I have four kids and yeah. raised five and, yeah. and I mean to think that I was it would just be like that like okay see you and I would just go into that mountain for 20 hours maybe wow. and it was light all the time so many right. times we would misjudge and the and the like the tide would come in and we would have to climb over some cliff in another place and and somehow I I really credit that experience though to awakening my creativity to a very large you know very large funnel. So um, and
1: and it, when you were there and it was you know this drug culture going mm-hmm. on with the youth, how caught up in that did you get, and was it ever difficult for you to stop or?
0: I got very caught up in it. You know, I tended to run with people 10 years older than I was ever since I was little. So I was with people I shouldn't have been with. And um, I did a lot of, uh, smoked a lot of pot, um, did a lot of cocaine, smoked cocaine. I never did anything like heroin or I never shot up or anything like that. But I did those type of drugs and I would do it like all night and then, you know, feel horrible and then spend the week recovering and then do it again the next weekend. So it was sort of that pattern over many 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 years and I I I realized um that it wasn't a way that I liked to feel. So first I stopped smoking pot and then, you know, by the time I left high school, you could have put a mound of cocaine in front of me and I would never touch it. It just I was just done. Like I, I literally I know the feeling. I, know the feeling. <laughs> yeah. I went into It took into, me a little
1: bit longer to get there, but yeah.
0: But I didn't have the I didn't have the addiction element, you don't have I think that, that gene. rich had yeah, yeah I don't. I don't think I have that gene
1: do you do you believe that some of us humans are more predisposed to get caught in that net than others
0: uh, like as far as addiction, yeah, yeah. oh yeah, no, and yeah. I don't think it's a gene. I think it's a it's a it's an, it's an entity possession, it's another energy that lives inside really oh yeah I've not heard the, I've not yet heard this you should perspective. listen to my you should listen to my podcast with Mishka. You know, Rich's friend, Mishka? No, I don't. Shabali, he's an atheist. He came on my podcast like early on. And it was quite profound because I had this awareness of what my awareness of what addiction is. And during the podcast, he described it to me. Without me telling him. Wow. Because I was like, what's an addiction? And he basically told me. And he has me,
1: the same perspective?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, he's, he described it as something that's attached in the base of his spine. Wow. I mean, it was crazy.
1: That's interesting. I'm, interesting I'm fascinated right? by this because mm. I've been sober, God, coming up on almost 22 years now, mm-hmm. right? And I was I was the kid that didn't outgrow it and it just got worse and worse and worse.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's, it's not something I need to figure out. I just know that, I don't know how else to say this, but God gave me salvation i mean i've talked about it on my show and i try to dance around that i was just released from bondage in a very miraculous and sudden way it happened in one moment and it never came back
0: beautiful
1: which is amazing but i'm still fascinated by it as a human phenomenon because mm-hmm. it's just something that affects so many people so yes. negatively mm-hmm. and in all these years of being sober and being very involved in recovery and you know uh, Working with people in sort of a mentor um, capacity and mm-hmm. having great guides in my life, spiritual guides and sober guides and whatnot, I find it so strange as to is why some of us get it and why some don't. It's mm-hmm. so weird, and mm-hmm. I've heard probably the most logical explanation from Gabor Mate, uh-huh. and you know his whole thing, and he's one of the foremost experts on addiction. His whole thing is that all addiction is the result of trauma. Okay. Mm-hmm. When I first heard him talk about that, I thought, well, that can't be because I know a lot of people that grew up with this perfect nuclear family where they got tons of love and support and no divorce and no sex abuse and they didn't Mm. get spanked and everything was great. And they grew up to be a diehard junkie just like me. And so like, how, how do you reconcile that? And so digging into his work a little deeper and listening to more interviews and stuff, he defines trauma in a multitude of ways that there is some trauma that's, I guess what I would call maybe more a passive trauma where you're the middle child and you maybe get ignored. Mm
0: -hmm. And it's
1: not like you got your ass beat all the time, but you experienced some sort of trauma and that your needs weren't met as you were being Mm -hmm. uh, raised. Right. Mm -hmm. But I still, you know, as much as I try to get around that, I'm like, yeah, Yeah." I don't know. I've met hundreds, Mm -hmm. if not thousands Mm -hmm. of addicts and alcoholics Mm -hmm. in all these years and I swear a lot of the worst junkies, just, they weren't ignored. They didn't have any trauma. I mean, mm-hmm. most of us have, okay, but mm-hmm. there are those exceptions. So I always find it interesting why it turns out that way. And and looking at my, I have two half brothers. I, I know for me, the second, I, I think my first, probably my first drink at maybe six years old, first time I tried pot I was probably eight years old. Mm-hmm. I was watching I'm not watching, but I guess reading pornography, <laughs> using pornography when I was like six. I mean, yeah. anything I could do to feel better and sure. escape, I did experience trauma. And then I have a brother, two half brothers, one of them, I guess had his own version of trauma, not kind of not like mine to that degree, but he just from the second he touched anything, he was instantly addicted, just like me, my other brother you could give him a hundred thousand dollars and he won't bring more than two beers. I mean, I try to encourage him like, don't you ever want to smoke weed? He's like, why? <laughs> I know. I'm like, Dude, cause you can get away with it. Yeah, It won't, it won't hurt you. Like you won't get addicted. You're immune to addiction. He's like, why would I want to feel like that? feels yeah. so like shit. I have more than two beers. I feel horrible. The next mm-hmm. day I go, who cares? Mm-hmm. You get to get fucked up that night. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, he just, he, he is wired differently. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't think you could turn him into a drug addict. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what? Those two kids, they grew up with the same mom, the same dad. They had trauma. There was a divorce. There mm-hmm. was there was issues. But like, why did one, you know, become an addict by the time he's 14 and the other one just not be interested? But so I think is it the entities or is yeah, it is it in, is it in our but, DNA? So
0: let's talk about it a, a little bit more. This is like a great Please, fertile yeah. ground to talk about this. So this. thank you. And, and you're very intelligent and you're very intuitive. So awesome. You know, yeah, you're right. Okay. So let me give Let me give first a basic example just to sort of lay the groundwork. So it's not, this isn't associated with an addiction, but it might give everybody sort of like an idea of why I have this perspective. So I worked with this spiritual teacher early in my my youth, not that early in my youth, early in my path. He worked with past life regression and resolving past lifetimes. And he gave me an example of a client that he had worked with. Um, a woman came to him and her body was deteriorating. Literally, her legs were um, failing, like everything was shutting down. And he worked with her a couple times and did you know, this clearing that I've been trained in. The third time, she mentions to him that uh, some seven years before she was driving behind her husband on the highway and saw him get hit head-on by a semi-truck and sliced in half and killed. Oh, my God. So he's like, oh, good that you told me that, right? So what happens is we're empathic beings, right? We're empathic and energy is something just like thoughts or things, right? If I if I get mad at you and I'm vibing you, you're going to feel it, right? We've, we've all had that kind of experience. So it's not that crazy. So what happened is her empathy and her love for her loved one, his energy and his trauma seated inside of her body and she was processing. It's almost like they got stuck together at a certain layer and she was processing his trauma in her own body. So my teacher did one or two sessions and the body completely restored itself. Okay. So just Is this teacher still around. No, he's not. <laughs> and I won't, I won't, I won't even give his, give his name, but I, I were, I did, I worked with him for two years every week I did a past life regression every week for two years and trained with him. Wow. That's a lot. It it became too much. It was like, all right, enough already. Anyway, that's just an, an example. So if we look at addiction and we look at this planet Earth, this system that we're all incarnated here, addiction is rampant. It is running through so many threads of what it means to be a human alive. And it can be all kinds of addiction. Sexual addiction is quite you know the whole sexual imbalance is quite a pro- quite an issue quite a challenge but addiction as well and you're right why is it in in why is it in some people and not in other people but oftentimes you will see an ancestral path so many of us as you know we we come in with the ancestral makeup of whatever group we've incarnated into and many of us that are incarnating at this moment in planetary evolution is because we made the agreement to clear that miasm or that issue within this ancestral line. So a lot of the people that I'm working with, I'm reframing these uh, pictures of you, of who Luke is. And instead of saying that you're an addict, I'm saying that you're a powerful, courageous being who agreed to come in and look at it and clear it. So if you really did clear it and you had that moment and you're free of it, you clear seven generations back and seven generations forward. The problem is, we are hu- we are spiritual beings having a human experience or possibly multidimensional beings having a simultaneous experience. And if we're only looking at this level, there's only so much information. So there is an ability, if we understand, we can learn processes to go in and clear, we can rescind from the program. We can say, I no longer participate in this in this relationship. And if you want to call it an entity or an energy or a thought form or a memory, you could call it any of those things. Let's not be dramatic about it. Everybody has aspects and layers of life that we're all dealing with. But you could claim responsibility for your own body and not allow any other energy in your body or light bodies, other energetic bodies, without your consent. If we do not embody our entire life form, someone or something else will. Because if if something's vacant and there's no one there, and this whole realm is... It's largely a parasitic experience. Someone's trying to suck something from you, get something from you, grab here. My whole work and focus is about gathering everything internally. So it's that we have the universe within us and self-sourcing, understanding that each life form has the energy to fulfill itself in celebration, in perfection. So this is where, you know, we can handle a certain amount of physical things. You know, diet is amazing. You know, meditation is amazing. All of these other things are amazing. You know, understanding that this is an instrument for your spirit, soul, is amazing. And there's more, there are more processes, you know, that are to be considered in what it means to be a human being. And if it is all physical... And I love AA, bless AA. It's been incredible for Rich, incredible. I credit AA to giving me an intimate relationship with my man because we can process conflict at this amazingly deep level. And every time he's been in trouble, all those guys have been there for him and they're beautiful. I love them so much. And AA is a great place to be born in. But maybe you shouldn't die there. There's more. There's just more. Oh my God. Just yeah. add on mm-hmm. to it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's you know, it's it's funny. And I, I've seen within recovery and thank you for that. Within recovery, I know at various times I've sort of gotten stuck, right? And uh Just when you think you've arrived, then another whole area of the human experience enters and you realize, shit, here's another area in which I, A, lack power. I lack the ability to break a pattern that's giving me negative results. It's funny because I've looked a lot at the 12 steps because they've been so transformative to me. Mm -hmm. But the 11th step is the one where we seek to improve our conscious contact with God through Mm -hmm. prayer and meditation, Mm right? Right and um, asking for the knowledge of God's will. And so to me, that's the gateway to everything else.
0: I love that. Because you
1: have to be able to improve. It's not just like, cool, yeah, I've got the the monkey off my back. I'm, I'm learning how to be of service. I'm helping some other people. I've sort of cleaned up my past and made my amends and you know, mm-hmm. healed the relationships of this lifetime. But <laughs> I've got to constantly be improving that relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Meaning I've got to, for me be allowing more areas of my own, not not my body, but as you're saying, beyond that in the different realms of my experience, I've got to be continually surrendering those over to mm-hmm. whatever my God is. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what keeps it interesting. You yeah. know? And in so doing, there's this inoculation against old addictions, resurfacing, mm-hmm. and also just new ones coming in because you become much more aware of it. So Mm -hmm. I really, I really appreciate that perspective. And I never, Mm -hmm. I never thought about that idea that um, I think the really thing that got me was that the idea of a vacuum being created when I'm not fully embodied. In other words, if there's, if there's Mm -hmm. a kind of a a tear in the lining of my consciousness, Mm -hmm and there's space in me that's not been explored, perhaps shadows that haven't been brought to light, then there's going to be something on an energetic level that comes in to fill that space, which is more than likely, if you have the propensity to be addictive, uh, it's going to be something compulsive, something addictive, something that's deleterious to your own evolution and well-being.
0: Yeah, and and ultimately, it's your gift. Like, you know, we were talking earlier. So it's not like it's not like, oh, you know, this is... It's for our evolution. You know, everything is happening for you, not to you. So it's not scary. It's actually not scary. It's not debilitating. To me, it's expansive. Yeah. Because if you know what to look for, and I can say, at least I can say, I am the only being allowed in my space. So everything else has to to leave. You know, just... I mean that's very that's very basic you know there there are other ways but you know why can't this god force just swoop down and hit us all on the head and make everything fine and it's because we're here this is earth school it's here for our evolution it's here for us to feel the friction and the alchemy and learn about these different aspects of ourselves so if you have you know, demons that show up, they're your teachers, you know, dark things are your teachers. I mean, thank God, you know, it's what makes you interesting. It's what we came here for is to transform these things. However, I feel that we are at a point in evolution where, you know, it's just not enough to just be in the body. It's just, it's not, it's, it's not doing it. Like it's not actually, it's, it's just not, It's not offering the solution. And I see it in my clients. And people on retreat and people that I do private sessions with, they end up telling me their biggest secret, their deepest shame that is there. And what I can do is reframe this for them as their greatest gift. And in the process, realign the energies, clean the energies, teach them how to seal their field. I mean, we have to understand we are light beings, We're not just a physical body. So if you're sensitive and you walk in a place, you might feel a lot of things. Maybe a lot of that isn't even you. You know, you just don't know, but you have to, like we have the opportunity to be so much more than we ever thought we were. And there's also a lot of manipulation and impulses and implants that are put into the planetary grid. And we think that there are feelings. You know, like milk does a body good. Or how about oh God. my entitlement over animals? You know, it's like I was raised that way. It never felt good in my mouth. And then later when I discovered yoga, and I mean, this is like an open, you know, everyone's unique. And I'm i am not here to preach an ism. I'm just here to, to talk about deep self-connection and awareness. And so... Uh, you know, there are these attitudes. I mean, I'll share one, which is really hilarious to me, is had you interviewed me before I dyed my hair blonde, I would have told you that I have absolutely no, you know, I have tons of blonde friends. Like, I love blondes. And then when I had blonde hair, I got to look at all of my, all of the implants about blondes in my oh, in my psyche. Because it's funny. in the culture, right. right?
2: Yeah.
0: And that's such a silly one, you know, but it was interesting a lot of times we have these thoughts. They're not our thoughts. They've been placed there for a reason. And and now, you know, the veil's coming down and we're understanding that the system is not what we thought it was. Like every single structure is coming down. Political, yeah. education, financial, spiritual, like every single thing. And so... Um,
1: it's exciting. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, so great. It's a great yeah. time to be alive. It really you know, is. The, the, the veil, the matrix is disintegrating. Yeah, and I, you know what it's funny I I I think a lot of it is really due to uh the advancement of technology and the sharing of ideas like that's happening right now in the long form I think a lot about this every once in a while I'll be sitting in an airport or something and I the news is on or some very like mainstream media and I look at that and I go people are still doing this <laughs> cuz you know I don't have a TV I don't I have no idea what's going on mm-hmm. in in the world I've unplugged from that whole scene because I realized there's so much programming and mind control. And just it's just pathologically demented uh, to me, most most media. And so now I'm learning from podcasts and going to conferences and from watching YouTube videos. And people now have the ability to have these long form conversations where I'm not beholden to any of advertisers or any control grid of information. We can talk about whatever the hell we want. Some people are going to resonate, some won't. But people listen to podcasts like mine and like yours and your husband Rich's and learn things that are so transformative. They can never be plugged back in to that grid. It's like once you see, I always use the example, if you're in the woods and you know hiking along the trail and you see a snake and you get startled and then you look closely and you see that it's a discarded rope, you can never believe it's a snake again. Right. And once the veil's been lifted from that manipulation which is usually trying to control you or sell you something or control you through you know, wants and needs and desires that aren't even yours really. Yes. But once you unplug from that, it's much easier to start seeing the ways that it's proliferating into mm-hmm. your life. So now that I'm largely unplugged, it's very noticeable to me that I'm really addicted to Instagram. Mm-hmm. I see the dopamine every time I refresh my feed and mm-hmm. are there likes, are there DMs? Like I, I want that little hit. I wouldn't be aware of that though if I wasn't unplugged from all of it at large. Mm-hmm. So there's so much contrast that's mm-hmm. created through having autonomy and having the information that I have vetted with my spirit and my intuition enter into my consciousness. Mm-hmm. I don't listen to music. I don't watch shows. I don't watch movies. I don't read books. I don't interact with other people on an interpersonal level unless mm-hmm. they meet a certain criteria
2: mm-hmm.
1: of consciousness and evolution that I mm-hmm. think is beneficial to the highest good. Right, So I just don't engage with that. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see when people still do. I go, whoa, holy shit. I think because <laughs> I'm on this path, I think everyone's on the path.
0: Right.
1: Just, You're I'll in see. your own bubble. Yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. I just no, but the- It's exciting right mm-hmm. now. Just mm-hmm. I think media, independent media rather to specify is so exciting because we have access to information that's so transformative and so powerful. And a lot of it's free. I mean, yes. you can take people's online courses. Sure. And, all of that but mm-hmm. i mean you got to listen you got to sit through a couple ads in the beginning of my show maybe right. unless you figured out that 15 second fast forward, forward for button right exactly you know, yeah <laughs> button which i'm i know a lot of us do yeah but other than that it's like dude you just chill and drive around and hear from someone like you that yeah. can describe that just for me that that vacuum the concept you just gave me it was like holy shit so i need to be filling mm. filling my my mm glass with that clean, mm-hmm. pristine crystalline water mm-hmm. to displace that muddy water that's still lurking in the shadows. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think you just identified, I think if you want to distill down, you know what is the what is the highest divine purpose of what we're doing, it is just that to offer somebody the possibility of another view. It's almost like they just peek over the fence and they're like, oh, I just peeked over the fence. So it doesn't matter if right, if they believe right. everything we've talked about or they they relate or they don't relate, but it's offering that there is another way, that there is, that there's another path, that there's another world waiting, you know, that I, I really think that's really, really, really profound. And I also have the experience, I haven't had a TV for over 10 years. Um, Rich was kicking and screaming when I got rid of his TV. He was like fighting for. What do you mean? I've given everything up. You know, oh, it was like that. Man, yeah. And I'll never forget. I got some of the worst hate mail after I mentioned on one of his podcasts to get rid of your TV. Literally, like, like, uh, you know, cuss word, like horrible name calling for the TV.
1: Getting trolled about <laughs> I was that. Like,
0: I was like, really? Like it's just oh, TV, right? But, um, but now this is okay. So this is. Instagram is becoming a little bit like that for me right now and I'm having a, <laughs> I'm having a moment with it it's a tough one it's kind of a tough one you know I'm like wait a second like I got rid of a TV so I wouldn't hear all that when I go through and yeah. you know I think there is a, a lot uh, an opportunity for us especially beings like you and me and like many of us but to actually really curate your content, cure, you know, even a refinement, and so I'm interested in the concepts of minimalism in content. So when we think about content and so much being shared, and everybody's like on a not, you know, we're on a schedule. Like, well, this is how much you have to share, and you know, trying to get followers and whatever you're you're trying to do. There's an etheric collection of energy of everything that gets put out. It exists somewhere. And so, as I was telling you, my beautiful yoga therapist teacher, Michael Manfredo, delivered a Zen bomb to me a couple months ago, where I was in a yoga pose trying to get my leg in a certain place, and there was no room. And I said, "Okay, I'll move the mat." And then he just says to me, "Or maybe you could move the bed." And that one statement has slayed me for the last <laughs> That's two so or great. two months. Because I was considering that I was hearing this tape in my head, like I dedicated my life to moving the bed, you know, and you realize that from the point of perspective, how much perspective do we really have? If we haven't awakened certain aspects of ourselves, do we really know what we're doing? And then I have this criteria, which I've always had, which I ask myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And is it in the highest divine alignment? With what I'm here to, to share. And so I've taken the last two months, I stopped posting, uh, and I've been in exploration and meditation of being very clear on the most efficient, minimal, powerful use of messaging for my own brand. And I think it's vital right now that we all become very discerning about what we're doing. So just what you were just saying that you don't spend time with people unless they fit a certain criteria, that's very advanced wisdom because you become the energy that you hang around with.
1: Yeah. And we I call it I call it the bless and block technique. Bless and block.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's more BB. for
1: actually that's more for trolls. That's you know, so it's funny. like
0: bless and block.
1: Rather than in because every once in a while I get a troll too. Yeah. It's not very often, maybe I'm not popular enough, but it's like the first instinct of the ego is like, yeah. I'll show you motherfucker. Yeah, oh, right. really? Yeah. And I want to just fire back at them and just devastate them yeah. psychologically. You know, obviously yeah. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So then it's like, mm, how about not engaging and just blocking them? And then right. it's just then energetically. Then it. Yeah, it serves the highest good to actually help them by not engaging too. Well, because to engage is just to invite more of that darkness that's spewing forth. Right. Anyway. I mean,
0: absolutely. I agree with you. And And the other thing is, I think a really amazing place that I am uh, embodying in my own life, and I think that this is vital for us to be the way showers, the leaders, the, uh, you know, on the front edge of of a lot of things, is having the courage to be disliked. Like just literally, now I'm not inviting anything, like let's just say grace and peace and beauty all over that. (laughs) but. The thing is, is that in order to, you know, I was talking to Moby once and uh, at some, you know, plant-based event and he was sharing that, you know, he just doesn't read any comments, but you know, he's Moby. So he has like a good, you know, he's already like made his mark and yeah. you know, with his music and everything. But he just said that if he reads any reviews and if he reads any comments, then it colors who he is in the world. And I think that there's a very real truth to that. And so um, I have this totem that i 've been working with uh, recently, and it's it's it 's an animal it 's water tiger, so the reason that and my my bracelet says water tiger on it, and the reason is because in getting very clear with what my mission is, who I am, my divine design, reading some of the teachings of osho and and some of the wonderful stories that he 's told about life forms. Not competing with each other, you know, like a squirrel isn't going to be bummed out that, you know, like the eagle could fly to the top of the mountain, you know, and it gets very spontaneous and very visceral and very natural in that state. So I've been sitting back into this totem of mine, which is water tiger, which is tiger, which is the my Chinese year, and also many attributes of my being. But the water aspect was given me, to me by this Zen master, who, was reminding me of my sensitivity because I have a very, very heightened sensitivity, which is a great power and also has to be cared for. So I think by getting into this example, you know, of, of a life form on that, you get out of the mental, you know, what does society want me to do? What did my parents want me to do? You know, what's expected of me? Or wait, Luke has a shirt with red stars. Maybe I should have that shirt. You know, how we're always looking out and, and it's generated through advertising and through, it's a spin, you know, we're always being shown some way of being. So that's been super, super powerful for me in these couple months of exploration. That's You're amazing.
1: I, I, <laughs> I honor your ability to do that. I swear if I'm when, you know, it's interesting when I get into nature, it's difficult for me to care about my phone. I'm just, I feel at home. I'm like, I look at that thing. I'm like, oh God, I'll still use it to document the adventures because it's part of the lifestyle. I'm the lifestylist. Like I want to show people how to have an amazing life, but it's it's work where the rest of the time when I'm in the city and I'm sort of in that subconsciously agitated nervous system space with Mm -hmm. all these EMFs and the things and this, it's like the phone is just there and the idea right now is of just putting it away for a while is terrifying. Really? Yeah, because not hmm. not as not as much because of the the compulsivity of it, but because I'm like, but the brand, bro, like everyone's gonna leave. What if are you I gonna don't do? Post, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's funny. I have uh, limited myself though, somewhat consciously, to one Instagram post per day. I just I don't want to cloud the feed you know what i'm saying so I, I do a pretty deliberate <laughs> a deliberate post that i think has some value or meaning or is just even inspiring sometimes i just find something cool i'm, I'm really into cabins and like beautiful homes yeah like this i love
0: your spaces thanks for sharing that yeah
1: i mean it's just it's kind of like my vision board yeah, I my like it. my insta feed is sort of it's my vision you know mm-hmm. uh, or at least part of it i don't put the the female partner visions on there um because that would be weird. That would be so weird. But the other sort of material visions, mm-hmm. places I'd like to go, mm-hmm. um, spaces that I'd like to hold. So yes. So
0: I And wanna, can I just say one thing before you we move on from that? I just feel that yes, I'm with you on all of that. And I will just put into the into the mix here that if you're posting about meditating, you're not meditating. If you're posting about hiking, you're not hiking. Like there's a part, <laughs> totally. you know, so know. And it's like we all do it, but it's like, yeah. it's like, oh, this is so cool. It's a pool. I'm going to post it. Yeah. Where are you? Where's your consciousness? And it's like, I had a birthday a few weeks ago and um, I just had 25 super close friends come over. Uh, A a beautiful chef named Chloe, who actually won our free spot on the Italy trip, happened to be in town. And I asked her to cook for me. And we didn't post anything. And we all were here. There were no postings. And I was skin to skin. Was that a party
1: rule? Like, hey, let's just put our phones away. I kind of didn't
0: say anything, but everybody just kind of knew because I've really been in an inner moment.
1: I get that vibe sometimes, especially when you're... uh, if you're spending time with people who have somewhat of a public presence,
0: mm.
1: you can kind of tell when you walk in a place, you're like, oh, yeah, this isn't like, hey, let's all do selfies night.
0: <laughs> no, it just wasn't. I <laughs> you mean, can pick
1: up on that. You know? No, the
0: air was still and the food was delicious. And, you know, we we sat and my son sang a set for us. And it was it was absolutely beautiful. And we didn't share it with anyone. And it was... It was really needed. And I just want to put that out there. I had a friend contact me because I'll go through my Insta feed and unfollow tons of people because I'm curate, I'm trying to curate what I'm doing. And I have, you know, tons of kids and businesses and everything else. And it's not that I don't value what people are doing, it's that I'm trying to affect a certain igniting in me, ignition in me for a certain thing. And suddenly I'll be like, you know, I'll just unfollow like hundreds of people or something just to sort of. Helped me get more clear. Yeah. And a good friend of me, you know, texted me and she was like, you know, I'm devastated. I saw it went on. I saw you unfollowed me. <laughs> I've had that it was like this so whole many thing. times. But I was like and I mean this is this is a person that is really an amazing artist who I love, who I've been very involved with in deep healing. She knows where I live. She has my phone. You know, she has my cell phone, like everything and i when she said you unfollowed me like i just called her i was like yeah i unfollowed like 400 people last month you know cuz i cuz it cuz i'm not taking it as that measure yeah and then you know she kind of freaked out and i was like dude i was like if you want connection then let's go on a hike and let's talk and she kind of you know pushed back a little bit and i looked at our feed and i said the last time you contacted me was 2015 how good of friends are we <laughs> And she was like, "You're right." So we, we met on the trail, wow. and we talked wow, in real cool. life. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, and I'm, and she's like, "Okay, you don't have to follow me now." I'm like, "No, I'm following you now." But it was an interesting experience, right? And yeah. so I'm just saying, don't think that if you're posting your life that that's your life, because someday we're going to all wake up and the internet's not going to be there anymore. It's going to be like, "Oh, it's gone." <laughs> you know? You know, then what are we doing? So I love it. I do love it. I connect with people all over, all over the world. It's beautiful. I'm 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 looking to find a real beautiful cadence with it where I'm really making sure that I'm having enough of these physical experiences, which is why I made you lunch before we started today, so that we could share some food together before. I appreciate so. that.
1: Before we make it or hang out a media event. Before we do. Exactly. (laughs) Well, it's funny you mentioned that. You know, are you living your life or are you posting? Because every, even pre-social media, just when I I love photography, Uh, you know, I've not tried to be a photographer per se, but whenever I go places, I just go, God, I have to capture this moment and I just visual. I'm visually oriented. What's the word? Orientated? Oriented. Oriented. Yes, that. Oriented. And so I just see things. I go, oh my God, that's a beautiful shot. It's kind of that thing. But, even when I was, I got a teenager and would go to you know deep into the jungles in Mexico and just all these amazing places I would travel, I would always have the sense that I need to take two trips, one trip mm-hmm. to document the experiences, mm-hmm. to document the places, the people, the things, and then another trip to actually just enjoy time. And I think this is very common for people that go on vacation because we're so busy doing social media and doing the things. It's almost like today, let's say this was not a podcast and we had just, you know, met in an event like Whitma and said, man, we should hang out sometime. We have a lot in common. Let's just chill. I mean, God, it would be such a different experience than mm-hmm. having to kind of be on mentally, emotionally, to have the equipment, the gear, mm-hmm. to look presentable and all of that. It it does color things when you're Capturing those things to share, so it's it's a i don't know it's a it's a delicate balance there I haven't quite sorted that out myself
0: i think it's I think both are good. I just think we shouldn't go as humanity, you know we like to go kale's good for you, and then we eat kale till we're sick
2: right right <laughs> so I've done that. you've done that yeah, so
0: the thing is is it's like just understand that there is real life, yeah. you know, real life is happening and yeah. and not everything has to be shared. I mean, I feel like right now i'm so I've been completely burnt out actually from doing three books, three cookbooks in a year and a half. Yeah,
1: that's madness. I took
0: like probably two months off cooking and now just out of sheer frustration of there being no good food, like even at restaurants that I can actually get, i s st- I've started creating, but you know, I made an amazing spread last night and I just didn't post it. Because I've done it I've done my work with food. Like there's lots. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Like there's yeah. like,
0: you know, yeah. five hundred recipes that people could, that I've yeah. shared. So I've done my tour. Go buy the books?
1: So yeah. It's there. There you go. On that note, before we before we change lanes here, because there's some other things I really want to get into. I mean, one of the main things being just the parenting piece. Whoa, mm. like huge piece. It seems like you've done a good job at that. So I want to learn from you.
0: We hope so. We'll see. Yeah,
1: we'll see. Where the, we'll just <laughs> interview the kids and we'll That's find right. out. Let's get the kids in here. How many of them are out they, of jail? They would love
0: that, actually. Yeah.
1: no. They will do that sometime. <laughs> um, but on the, on the social front, and you talked about that fear of, Facing rejection publicly of not mm. being liked of not being accepted, on the other side of having that those sacred things that you keep private and perso- personal, um, those experiences, something that I think is really healthy in our culture in these long form conversations in independent media is that it's become very commonplace for people to be extremely revelatory about their secrets and their shadow and their shame and their trauma. And I've noticed just in the past two years of having this show, people that I interview, other hosts and guests that I hear on other podcasts, YouTube videos, etc., I mean, people are open about their addiction issues. No one used to talk about that shit. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Rich, when he I heard him on his show, he was like, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. I was like, what, dude? Mm-hmm. You, you just said that out loud? Mm-hmm. I never used to tell anyone that about mm-hmm. myself. And then uh, furthermore, hearing really prominent people talk about um, sexual abuse that mm-hmm. they had endured as a kid and you know, just all the family system sickness and all of that. And every time someone... You know, in a tactful way, Mm -hmm. you use the word discernment. I think that's a really important principle. But if it's not done with sensationalism, if it's done to serve the highest good Mm -hmm. and for the healing of all, I get inspired every time someone kind of opens up their closet door a little bit and talks about something because then I feel safe to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And I get to heal that part of myself that's been hidden. And what's interesting now is that people are using social media to talk about all sorts of things like that and it's almost sometimes it's a little too much if there's not discernment. But overall, I think that it's a really healthy movement now that all of these things that used to be so shameful are becoming commonplace. Mm-hmm. What's your view on sharing very personal things publicly in an effort mm-hmm. to heal from them and to help other people know that they're not alone?
0: Well, I think it's super powerful. Um, I do think that there are different levels of it. You know, I think that because it's become effective, there's a certain set of the population that basically enters in on it with with the intention of you know getting good traction with it. You know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> right. it, it has okay. to be it has to be relevant and in the context of something that makes sense. So you know in our case so
1: in a sensational sort of
0: yeah you know way. like like again everything is intention like where is your intention with it and is it really necessary at that moment you know like i right. don't think it should be uh, because i also think that this is this is actually what i know what i know is that in order to really share in the most powerful way it's very powerful when you're actually through it when you when you've tra- when you've come through the fire and then you've risen, you kind of have alchemized the entire situation. Yes. And I don't mean to say that, you know, don't like, don't be so black and white with me on that, but that's what I know. Cause I know in, in Rich and in my scenario, you know, he wrote about his addiction and finding ultra in his memoir, which was, you know, widely read. And so, you know, everybody knew about the alcohol addiction in there. There are many other subplots that were going on at the same time, like our nine-year financial collapse. And that was a very scary thing to speak about publicly because what had been put forth, at least in the energetic grid with money, had been if you tell somebody that you're failing, they will eat you up. It will cause like an attack to go further. It didn't feel safe at all. Also during the time, um, you know, I'm sitting in this beautiful home and it's in it's important to note that I didn't pay mortgage, property taxes, or insurance for six, no, five years, for five years. And I was doing ceremony and prayer and meditation and cultivating an energetic to hold a reality that we would, we would come out of this cycle and that it would catch and we would be able to reconcile everything. And now everything's fine. So now it's easy for me to speak about it. However, when I was in those very deep, tender, scary moments, you know, there were no shows about banks frauding the public. Um, I was on the front lines of that. And I would talk to business people who would tell me, you know, they're going to come and take your home. And she, you know, everybody thought I was insane, literally an insane person living here for all those years. And I just had this conviction and knew that this home was my not as a possession but as a living energetic and as something that was part of my co-creation, you know, in my life. So had I spoken about that prematurely, that would have compromised my mastery and my ability to be a warrior and embody what I need to. So let's be clear, right? That's a huge distinction. Huge distinction.
1: That's the dividing line perhaps between I guess it's like you said, it's the intention, but it's serving the highest good and that it's useful to people that are perhaps not in a position where they've overcome mm-hmm. said dilemma. Mm-hmm.
0: And if you share prematurely when you when you have not embodied, it may compromise your situation and it also doesn't have the effect. So I was telling somebody in an, in an interview earlier today that this whole journey that I've been on, you could tell me, you know, Srimati, I think you're full of shit. And, you know, and I don't, I don't believe you. And it does nothing to me because I earned this. It's in my cellular makeup. No one can ever take it away from me. So I have nine years of being in ceremony of, of, um, intentional action, devotion, you know, compassion, holding the highest, you know, holding my humanity as my cars got repossessed holding my humanity as you know the bank refused me i had no bank account for 4 years
1: damn
0: <laughs> and then my friend Saul Ray i, I
1: relate to that
0: i relate to that right back
1: in the day yeah, yeah but i mean well, i a- stole i stole money when i was first sober i was so treacherous i mm-hmm. Bank of America actually accidentally gave me too much money in a deposit or something. That never happened. And so I was like, all right, fuck you guys. And I took the money and spent it. And then they shut me down and they put me in this like... Bank account Lockdown, jail. Right, yeah. It's exactly. like this other credit system. And
0: Then they all know they, yeah, all you, the banks know and and it. And I couldn't too. get a bank account anyone, I had to right? go to some
1: like weird little credit union. I totally forgot about that. That's why <laughs> God, that's so funny. God, I'm so grateful. Things have changed. Isn't that amazing? Yeah.
0: My point is, is it's like, okay, we all have these challenges, right? We have these sacred moments. So like people, you know, I would tell people, I'm not, I'm not like a deadbeat. I'm in my sacred moment. Like this is my moment of of alchemy and so i met it in that way and i met it for my family and i showed that example to my kids and it went on way longer than i expected it to oh my goodness like had i known it was going to take that long i might have decided an exit strategy or something
1: right that's hardcore it was
0: hardcore with four kids really five kids cuz my nephew lived with me and and it also was beautiful and magical and unpredictable and sweet. And, you know, some of the best Christmases we had when we had no money, we would just make up routines for each other or, <laughs> right, yeah, it right. was actually awesome. The like gift it
1: was, is, I went out in the yard and gathered these
0: sticks. Yeah. <laughs> or the, one of the funniest ones is it was my daughter's six-year birthday and I had no money for her party, but she was only, it was, she was six. So I was like, what does she know about time? You know, so... My other daughter said, oh, you know, it's Daya's birthday. And I go, well, I had this kind of skill where I'd be like, we're going to wait on that. Like, we're going to wait for the flow and then something's going to arise. And that's how I surfed the whole thing. And Matha's got mad at me and she's like, today's her birthday. And I was like, you know, you're right. So I went up in my closet, gathered like objects from an old marriage, drove to the pawn shop with my daughter, went in. And I was like, this will be an awesome homeschooling experiment because she's going to see like how they test the silver... And I left like an hour later with six hundred and thirty dollars, which might might have been six thousand. Like it was a, a lot of money to me. Yeah. And my daughter was like, "Oh, I'm so relieved! I thought we were going to have to sit there all day till somebody bought it." Like, you know?
2: oh yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so you know that like, night, like a swap meet exactly or something like right a swap yeah. meet. But that night, you know, I made a I made a train cake. We invited all her little toys. It was just my kids and her, and we had a beautiful meal, and we had a couple presents for her, and I had groceries for the month. And it was one of the most beautiful moments ever. I'll never forget that day. So it's it's not what happens to you. It's how you are in the face of what happens to you. And I would just say that spiritual alchemy sometimes requires privacy. And so if I'm doing very potent ceremony, I'm not going to broadcast it all over the airwaves. Right. Because it's going to leak the energy.
1: That's this is so interesting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why for a number of reasons, but it's just immediately brought up and thank God I can remember this spike of um, inspiration that I had. But I've been someone in I'm gonna say my whole life, but probably my adult life, since I was a drug addict and a drug dealer. I think that's when this started, the idea of being in debt, right? So Mm -hmm. when you're a drug addict and a drug dealer, you get everything fronted because you have no goddamn money because you spend it on drugs. So you get your dealer, they give you a big batch of drugs, you parcel it out, you sell it, then you have your supply, then you pay them back afterwards. So hence began in high school uh, being in debt to drug dealers, which is not smart because if you don't pay, there can be... You know, repercussions of that. Thankfully, I, I never suffered those. I somehow knew I didn't want to interrupt the supply chain for myself. <laughs> repercussions are fine, but supply chain, don't fuck with that. So uh, that began. And then when I got sober, I you know, for the first time in my life at 26 years old, I got credit cards because I, you know, I'd never had bank accounts and stuff. I was just totally underground. And so I got bank accounts, credit cards. The minute I got my first few credit cards, I went out to Circuit City and bought VCRs back in the day and just new stereo for my car. And I just, I, I looked at a line of credit like cash flow. Like if I have $25,000 in credit, that means I have 25 grand cash in the bank. That's just literally, I don't know where I got this idea, but that was in my head. And so I just was always in debt, even though I was always earning money, even especially after I got sober, I did much better. And then when I got into being a fashion stylist the way that that industry works it's just it's just the way it is is when you get booked on a job say for a celebrity um, to do a music video red carpet whatever you're given a budget and that's the allotted amount you can spend on the wardrobe and how it works is you spend all the money in your credit cards. And then when you invoice your client for your day rate, you also invoice them for the expenses and you give them an expense report. So maybe I spent 15 grand on a job on my credit cards. I turn in all the receipts and I get paid back on the 17 years of my being a stylist because I'm sort of a non-linear guy. You know, -hmm. I don't keep track of numbers and I don't even know what a checkbook is, how you balance it. I've just never been that guy. So I would get in the habit of getting those reimbursements and then I would put that money in my checking account and I would kind of forget to go pay the cards off. And I would see my account and go, shit, I have 20 grand in the bank. And someone would say, hey, you want to go to Brazil? I'm like, fuck yeah, let's go. you know. And I would go spend all that money and not pay my cards. So I did this for a number of years. Eventually I racked up $100,000 in credit card debt. And I've had that debt hanging over my head for I don't know how many years, for years. Mm-hmm. I've never told anyone mm-hmm. except my closest friends. No way would I ever talk about that publicly. However, uh, a week ago, no, two weeks ago, I, I t- two years ago, I cut up my credit cards, except business cards. I, I vowed that I would never spend one penny in mm-hmm. my life on anything unless I have it in my hand. Mm-hmm. Just, I do not charge shit anymore. Yeah. Finally, the spiritual lesson, mm-hmm. who knows how many lifetimes I've been a debtor it's a horrible principle to disobey Mm -hmm. because of the shame and the pressure and all Mm of that. But I never told anyone because I was so ashamed. But once I'd paid it all off, I found myself talking about it.
0: Yeah. Just as you said. Mm -hmm.
1: Because there's there's an inherent lesson into it. And my intention is Mm -hmm. to tell someone else out there that A, it's don't be a dumbass, don't get into debt. Yeah, right. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I've done. uh, As my stepdad used to tell me when he was sitting around smoking weed all day. (laughs) Um, or not mom's boyfriend they never got married Um, but it's now I'm starting to share because Mm -hmm. I've overcome that shit I guarantee Mm -hmm. you I will never just like I will never have a drink of alcohol for the rest Mm -hmm. of my life Mm -hmm. I mean unless there's some scientific cure that makes you not drink too much or something Mm -hmm. but I could safely say I'm halfway joking but I will never drink and I will never spend money that I don't own
2: yeah
1: I might finance a home or something Mm -hmm. like that but no unsecured Mm -hmm. debt it's just it's like I'm sober with money now me too and That's sober, too. and then sex comes later. It's another conversation, right? Uh, which was a, another tough lesson to learn. But now I feel that I can share about it. And I've been interviewed on a couple podcasts in the last couple of weeks, and it's just, it's intuitively come up. Mm-hmm. Oh, what's going on with you? What are you working on? Well, shit. I just became debt free and I've never felt better. You so know, great. it's just, it's such a burden. Beautiful. But I think it's really important what you said and to not, To not use our struggles as clickbait and sensationalism Mm -hmm. and just to get attention in social media, Mm -hmm. but to really do the inner work, like you said, to do it in secret and private until you've overcome it might be, might be. Perhaps a higher path in some cases.
0: No, and I think, I think also you'll find that if you, if you do it, you'll feel internally a discomfort with it. And then that discomfort is in fact the tear in the auric field where the energy can backlash on you. So it's not even like it, it, it likely will not be in your best interest. So it's not that everyone should share everything all the time. And again, it goes back to, you know, tantric wisdom for whom and when that's the answer. You know, what about, what about this? It depends.
1: Context. Yeah. What about this?
0: It depends for whom and when, where are you? Are you really safe? Are you really embodied in that lesson? Have you digested it? Have you fully digested it? Is it part of your cellular makeup? Then share. Then you can share.
1: All right. I love it. That's a great lesson. I did I knew that and Yay. didn't even know I knew it. You totally so knew that's it. That's amazing. We'll be right back after this important announcement this show is all about building the ultimate lifestyle right and a huge part of that is optimizing not only your sleep but your sleep environment so i'm super stoked to tell you guys about altera pure who make the highest quality organic pesticide free non-gmo sheets and bedding that i've ever discovered a lot of stuff on the market is actually pretty fake ass. I got to tell you, uh, I've looked into this a lot. It's actually very difficult to find high quality, truly organic cotton. So Altera Pure is doing it right. I've got them myself on my bed. They are insanely high quality and it's a very great company because they really support the environment, social sustainability, and they're absolutely transparent. So I want you to go to their site, Altera Pure. Dot com, And when you get over there to pick up some sheets, you can use the code LIFESTYLIST and save yourself 15%. So go to alterapure.com. That's A-L-T-E-R-R-A-P-U-R-E. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST and save 15%. And now back to the interview. I want to get into some relationship stuff. Okay. It's the... it's as i was explaining before we turned the mics on it's it's an area of life that i'm really studying and and learning mm-hmm. about right now um by not engaging in them and and taking a look at myself so when i see someone that's in what appears to be a successful long-term relationship i'm very curious as to how that works and you <laughs> mentioned the ability that you and rich have to resolve conflicts and i'm very interested in fine-tuning communication and codependency issues and love addiction and love avoidance and all of these sort of mental health and psychological issues that many of us face. Mm-hmm. So first one, I want to ask about your relationship with Rich. And, you know, obviously feel free to not divulge anything uh, that you feel is, is private. But my dog's um, she's barking in her sleep. So <laughs> she has cute. dreams and she'll do these little squeaky barks. Aww. So freaking cute. Oh my God, I love that dog. She's happy. Sweetie. It's okay, Cookie. She's in every podcast now. So the audience, and I'm sorry, guys, you're going to have to get used to it because I just can't leave her at home. So what I want to ask you first, uh, in relation to being in relation with someone who has had alcohol addictions and things like that, was rich sober when you guys got together already?
0: Yeah. So my so my trick was with the way life put us together is I was his first relationship out of rehab oh, when shit. he had I'm been celibate for, <laughs> for a year and a half. So oh. he'd been completely celibate he had gone to, you know, recovery for three months, a three-month-away program. Wow. So he had very advanced alcoholism, like that of a 60-year-old. So it was very severe. And we met in a yoga class, and I was getting out of a 10-year marriage with the father of my two, two boys and was looking forward to dating a lot, just completely free. And he was, he had, Sort of tried to get married. There was a wedding with five hundred people, and the wedding and the marriage never happened. the The girl didn't sign the certificate, and it was a, <laughs> and they ended up breaking up on the honeymoon. Like that, it's that's a movie actually oh, in of itself. It
1: sounds like a Ben Stiller movie. Or yeah, something, it was honestly. totally
0: a Ben Stiller movie. So he I mean, was, like a little
1: bit more of a dark yeah, comedy, but yeah, yeah.
0: So he was looking for like a twenty something, you know, young girl who didn't want to get married, and then you know he met me in my thirties with two little boys. So it was just not what either. One of us were planning on
2: but interesting, yeah.
0: So yeah, and I mean, when I met him, like, I never even considered that he was an alcoholic, like he was never an alcoholic to me. he was a yeah. child of God it was it was never like I didn't even fret about it. I wasn't like, oh my goodness, you know, well I was,
1: he seemed committed to yeah, the path,
0: Is I mean, it, uh, yeah, he's very committed to the path, but I don't know i it just wasn't in my body, I just didn't even. Think about it, yeah. honestly.
1: Well, you know, I have to I have to uh, digress a little bit here. When it comes to things like addictive tendencies and things like that, I've always somewhat wrestled with the idea of just subjectively labeling oneself. And it's, it's kind of a weird thing, like within the confines of, say, addiction recovery from alcohol, for instance. The first step in... Being free of that bond is, is admitting that it's got me. I'm powerless. Like I need a, a higher power to help me. And so you admit to yourself that you're an alcoholic, mm-hmm. thereby labeling yourself with this thing.
2: <laughs> right. It's, exactly.
1: It's a it's a mind game. I'm it's with it's you semantics. On that one. So it's like yeah. I've never had a problem. I just I'm Luke. I'm an alcohol. I mean, I am, dude. If mm-hmm. I touch. I have one shot or one beer. I don't, I'll end up in another fucking country in 72 hours with some really weird, dangerous people. I have Mm -hmm. no idea what's going to happen. So I have no problem with that. But to say um, other areas, like let's say, Oh, I you know had problems with spending too much money and I was in debt, like calling myself a debtor is like, Oh, that's low energy. Or if I've had too much sex Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, you know, detrimental to my relationships or my well-being or the well-being of others mm-hmm. to say I'm a sex addict is mm-hmm. like, I don't like the way that fits at all. No, right. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm a fucking limitless spiritual being right. in a meat suit that mm-hmm. is prone to doing some things too much. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so um What's your view of, of you know, if you didn't think of him as an alcoholic, what's your view of someone who's so addicted to using that tool of admission and self-honesty to say, okay, I raise my hand, I am a this, I am a that, versus are you empowering that negative pattern and giving it energy by labeling yourself as such?
0: Well, I think it's a progression.
1: You get where I'm going with this? I get what you're going. My questions I'm sometimes right. are 10 minutes no, long. It's I'm just, with you. I have to get the thought out. I totally
0: got it. I'm wired the same way okay. you are. So I think it's a progression. So, I think, in the beginning, if you're in denial or you're being overcome by some power that is basically using you and you are out of control and you are not self self-regulating or self-choosing, then that admission in the history of aA is very vital. You know, I'm an alcoholic. And again, I think it's a great place to be born, but I think you have to add on to that. So it's like that that is true, and Rich works the step and I hold this vision. You are a divine being of consciousness and you are never just that. So in my, in my work with my clients, in my work with, if I was to do you know a session with anyone who has any kind of those addictions, the flip of perspective is to empower. So it's like you are an expanded being who chose to experience itself through that vibration. That does not make you less than I am or less than any anybody. And in my expanded perspective right now, in this realm, it is simply a choice. And another choice might be to be in a namaste group, which to me is also a cage. Both are cages. And what we're doing in this body right now at this moment on planet Earth is we're synthesizing Past and future into a present point. And through neutrality, through the integration of all experiences, and me not denying my promiscuity when I was young, my the way and I, that hurt my being, but I was doing it as a master, knowing at some level what I was doing. So when I integrate it, I heal that for all humanity. So I integrate it, I come into neutral. And I transcend this paradigm, and then I am a free being. So you are, you are a multidimensional creator. That's who you are. And if you're, you know, that's why, in my view, I have no judgment on a homeless person as being less than, or a drug addict, or any version of anything as being less than um, a monk or a it's a choice of experience, and by taking that perspective and turning the the victimness of it into an opportunity to know yourself, I empower holding the vision that you are a powerful creator.
1: I like it, Amen.
0: <laughs> great answer
1: <laughs> so you've had you're in your third marriage, yeah. Do you have an affinity historic? for <laughs> Do you have an affinity, <laughs> affinity historically for men that are um, alcoholics, drug addicts in recovery or not? Has that been so a pattern? Much.
0: Actually, no. It's kind of really super interesting because my okay, you know, I, I already talked about the my separation from my father and trying to fill that void. My first marriage was with a karmic relationship that I had to experience. And my feeling in this relationship was that I had to get in the race car and run it into the wall and explode it in order to be done with it. It was an abusive relationship. I was physically beaten and also verbally abused for many years. And it's not... It's not so black and white. I mean, obviously, he was in a very sexy life, you know, in the music business, you know, world touring rock bands, like a great... And also, I was a shadow musician at the time, unexpressed. So I was idolizing musicians as gods. And that was my trap. That was my entry into that. So even though he wasn't the musician, he was the manager of the musician, that wound in me was how I got hooked in the whole nightmare. And um, that, ha- that took seven years. It was a seven year process. I was free of him for a year and a half in the middle. I left him many times. He would wait outside my work, beg me, beg me, beg me, beg me you know, cry, 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 lose 25 pounds, go to therapy for two years. Like it just, you know, how some maybe, maybe you do you have recurring dreams where you use like when you first back in the day in the day right yeah. and you're like oh every I use- once
1: in a while now you know it's funny to just and hold that thought i yep. want to hear the rest of the story but the one recurring dream i have and this cuz i was such a pothead just my whole life i mean i smoked weed my whole childhood it was my savior it was my god it was my best mm-hmm. friend i love that plant marijuana i just can't do it anymore But um, my dream is always that I'm still sober, I'm fucking crushing it, my life's totally together, and I just smoke weed now, but I'm totally cool. It's not a problem, but I'm still living this great sober spiritual life, and also I smoke weed. That's usually the dream. It's strange. That's funny. Anyway.
0: Well, I would have this recurring dream that he wouldn't let go of my leg, and I would be saying, I don't love you, I don't love you, please leave me, leave me, leave me, and he wouldn't let go. And that was my recurring nightmare. Wow. So that quite, was quite
1: literal. It was sounds literal. Like a,
0: literal. Yeah. And then from that, and I was creatively blocked because he was, he was stifling my creativity. So he was, um, you know, would, would want me to cut my hair off, would want me, you know, it was like very controlling, very controlling, very weird. And I was young. I was in my early twenties. And so I was trying to figure it out. So then later when I met the boy's dad, um, it was a love at first sight. Met him, during an interview on Valentine's Day and recognized him from another time space. I mean, literally. And he was the epitome of a knight in shining armor. He literally rescued me right out of that situation. He loved me into my creativity, literally just celebrated me and loved me. And in the early days, I had a very hard time being with him because he was so nice that it felt Bizarre to me. Like, I had to actually talk through it. I had to say, okay, you're sitting really close to me, and this is making me feel uncomfortable. And, you know, he had a really funny way about him, and he would like make a joke about it. But I always talked to him about it, and then we would resolve it, and we could move the next way. So, to the next step. And I was, um, I had a huge creative arc with him. I became a fashion designer, had my own label was dressing, you know, all the elite of real estate. He owned one of the biggest real estate companies in the country here and was one of the main partners. He was the most eligible bachelor in real estate. I had no idea who he was. You know, I made him drive from like Beverly Hills down to Manhattan Beach for like months while he dated me, you know. It just was crazy, but I knew him and instantly just adored him and we had a beautiful marriage we skied together every season like 25 days he had his own career i had my own career he had 5000 employees i was like the c like the you know the wife of the cfo or whatever you call it ceo of the company and it was a really incredible time um, i built a home with him overlooking all of malibu on the top of the hill this is the prime lot overlooking everything And it was magical. And at the end of eight and a half years, the entire thing came to completion. It was over. And it was shocking to me. If you had interviewed me during that time, I would have said, Luke, I have a love that most people only dream of. And I had it. And not only that, I had my two boys during that time. My beautiful sons were extraordinary individuals who I later would go to become musicians with and create this music over seven years together with my glorious babies. Um, so that was just amazing. So it was shocking to me that it ended, that it came to completion. And we had 11 things that happened that would have, any one of those things would have marked the completion. But ultimately, it was my spirit calling me into greater levels of myself. And so uh, it's weird. I had my abusive karmic hell. I had my fairy tale, really illusion, because no one can rescue anybody, you know, and and after us, afterwards it falls through your fingers. And if you're subscribing to the rescue paradigm, which is the romantic paradigm that is put forth on planet Earth. So if you have a rescuer, then you have a victim. It's the same as a victim-victimizer. Because as a being— I have enough energy to fulfill myself inherent in my own design. I don't need you to rescue me. And in fact, you rescuing me is a lowering of my vibration. So what I talk about in romantic relationship, that's why this romantic paradigm that's put forth in Disney and, you know, it's always the the girl's in a coma and she has to be waken up by the prince and the older woman is a hag. So it puts the subconscious, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that if you get to a certain age, you're discarded, you're useless. But really in the Vedas, the woman, the feminine comes into her most power in her after childbearing years. Like this is my moment to be everything that I am. But in our culture, it says that after childbearing... You know, you're going to choose, you're going to trade me in for a younger model who can fulfill Damn, that brutal. That whole set. It's brutal. and, and I really, mean, our
1: culture in general, I think, uh, holds very little value for age. Exactly. Which is strange. Exactly. In other, and, in other cultures, the elderly are revered, especially in the Asian cultures and in India.
0: Very much, yeah. yeah, because it's recognized of, of that. And the other thing is, I mean, it was beautiful, this monk that I meditate with, Swami Vidya Dishananda, like he was talking about, you know, now is my my biggest power moment. Like now is what I've lived my whole life for. This isn't, like, I'm just getting started. I haven't even started yet. I'm just coming in, you know. So, but in our culture, that's what we are taught. And it's interesting because I did a self process where I disconnected from that paradigm that was lifted, living inside of me that belief of being traded in because if you believe that you will attract that to you because it's your pain right so I think as a group you know women have an opportunity to rescind participation in that program because it's not true and I'm rewriting a new way to be fully in everything that it means to be a woman at my age, um, my relationship with Rich has surpassed anything that I ever thought possible in a romantic relationship. Wow! And it has come from a friction of opposites. We could not be more dis—you know—more not alike, more. Opposite, I get that
1: sense, right? Having gotten to know him a little bit and yeah. now getting to know you. No, yet.
0: it's we're completely different and. Everything that feels natural to me is not natural to him and vice versa. And somehow that friction has created a point of meeting where uh, sexually, creatively, we are matched beyond any, anyone I've ever even met like another couple. Like I've been with him for 20 years and we still have a creativity and an intimacy, which is crazy. Wow, that's it doesn't make so, any sense.
1: That's so exciting.
0: It, it is. It's inspiring. It's inspiring. Yeah. But the thing is, is that when we enter that space, we both become completely fluid and we're able to follow this kind of force. It's crazy. It's like, it's never the same. It's, ne- it, it's never mundane. It's never like, oh, this again. And we spend a lot of time not together. Like, I don't need him to come home. I'm not looking to know when he's coming home later today. I saw him just a minute ago. I might not see him till like tomorrow afternoon and I'm not looking for him. (laughs) But I've always been like that. So it's like, he has a tremendous amount of freedom. I have a tremendous amount of freedom. And what we call it is freedom in commitment. The commitment gives us, it's a deep love that's really there. But within that commitment, we're our individual beings. Like, he does not complete me and I do not complete him. And if, and please, you know, please don't go there because that's not happening. So what we vowed is to hold each other in love, in celebration, in support, to realize our individual highest creative expression. And we've done that in very powerful ceremony along the way, starting with a very spiritual wedding with... You know, gospel singers and channelers, and Bhagavan Das did our Vedic fire ceremony, and African wedding singers, and, you know, crazy, crazy activation. And then we've done it in different ceremonies throughout all those dismantling. And when we made it through the dismantle, we did a renewal of our vows which I used to think was so cheesy and stupid because I would be like, oh, you had one wedding. Like, it's not enough. Like, you go, oh, you got to have another wedding. But we did it in this room with the kids, you know? And I really recommend this to people. It's so powerful, you guys. If you're married and you have children, get married again with your kids. Like, because they weren't there. And so we had this, you know, it was on our, I think, you know, I don't know, our 12th anniversary. My daughter, Math, has designed the my dress my and both of my daughter's dresses and sewed them. And my son's, like, we all did something. So my son wrote a song and my other son, you know, wrote a story. And, you know, we had an altar made in here and it was just the six of us. And Rich read me something that literally cracked my heart. It it slayed me. He literally slayed me to my knees after being with him for all those years and it was so deep. And, you know, after beautiful, beautiful experience, I, I, um, I made garlands for all of us, like strung flowers for all of us. And we had, you know, crystals and we had everything that we needed. And then we went to a restaurant afterwards and some friends joined. But it was just us, you know, and it was, it was remarkable. And again, the power of ceremony, the power of taking the moment, Rich and I had our 15 year anniversary of our actual wedding here um, in July. And, you know, we got a hotel room and we met for ceremony, you know, and we had our crystals and we had, you know, the feather that the shaman gave us when we had our wedding with him in Mexico. And we had certain things and we recommitted to what are we doing in this next section of our lives. And it's a very individual commitment. It's not like, I'm going to hold your hand 24-7. No. It's like, what do you want to realize in the next section? And I'm going to vow to hold you in that vision. And please hold that for me. And then we go forward.
1: Damn, I'm speechless. <laughs> that is so epic, so inspiring. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm like, as you're talking... The thought that comes to my mind, I go, Luke. After the interview, ask her if she'll coach you next time you get in a relationship. Yes. I'm yeah. Like, Honestly, I'm just sitting here going, oh, "What? That's possible." <laughs> I've, not, you know, I've not had, I've not had mm-hmm. that sort of conscious mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. yet. It's um, mm-hmm. had some great experiences, but not something on that level, mm-hmm. you know. So it's it's well, inspiring to think, wow, that that that's possible to have, you know, and I'm obviously like no relationship on the planet is all unicorns and rainbows. But Mm -hmm. I think that alignment is so Mm -hmm. appealing to me where you have two souls that are in contract with themselves and their own God. Mm -hmm. And then this third entity, as I'm sort of picturing this energetically, you know, being the relationship and there's a contract within that.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think the thing is, is that is what the key to it is understanding that um, and this is one thing that I loved about Rich that was from AA, because I was used to men trying to rescue and resolve things. Like, they were like, hey, little lady, I've got it handled. Here's yeah. how you cut a tomato. You know, it would be like, you know, like, and that was so, um, felt so bad in my body. You know what I mean? Because it's really condescending. It's actually not not what we want, ultimately, and Rich, I was in the middle of this life transformation and a lot of pain, too, coming out of this divorce. And, you know, divorce takes a couple of years any way you slice it. Like, you just, especially if you have children, like, it's, it's, it's just not all one way. It's a very mixed bag, you know, of, of a situation. And Rich would say to me, I know you're in pain, and I'm going to stand here and watch you in pain. You know, but it's like it wasn't like I'm going to solve it for you. And I was so relieved; I felt such a relief. I was like, "Oh, thank God!" Like he's not in my space. And same way, if you realize that this is a solo journey, even if you're in a relationship. So, like the story that I tell about Rich and my transformation, and what actually catalyzed this whole vegan lifestyle Ultraman uh, experience that. He writes about in his book, and that is behind all of our cookbooks. Is that in the beginning years, he was, he's an addict. You know, he still suffers from the affliction, from the moods, from the resentment, from all that type of stuff. And he was very paralyzed. And I was feeling like maybe I needed to bring my light in because I was too much for him. And also, I was coaching him. I was like, dude, you're suffering here, take it. And every time I reached, he would get more paralyzed. And it was very tricky to discern, very tricky to figure out. Because when I interviewed all my friends, they were like, you're so right. And he's so not right. You know, I was like, is it reasonable that I want him to bring in a certain amount of income? Is it reasonable that I want him to eat well? You know, is it reasonable that he read the self-help book? And they were all like, yeah, 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 yeah. Seven years, my relationship's not changing. It's not going anywhere. So uh, we had one sort of defining moment where I I asked him to leave for a 24-hour period. We had a Mathis was just a baby. And during that 24 hours, I just was clear, no, I, I want to be with this guy. And so I had this teaching with this Indian master that I was studying with at the time. And he talked to me about divine love versus human love. And he's like, human love is simply a business arrangement it says if you do if you behave a certain way and you do x y and z and you speak to me in this manner and you love me like i want to be loved then i will love you but if you fail in any of those areas i will withdraw my love from you right but the sun is just consciousness and it's divine love. And it's loving all of us, no matter what you do, no matter your addiction, no matter if you're homeless, no matter if you're Mother Teresa, it's loving you the same, it doesn't care. And for some reason I was able to to imbibe that teaching. And you know, it's like the, when you get a lesson, like ski lesson and they tell you the same thing. And then finally the one instructor says it and you're like, ah, you know, I had that moment. And I came home and I, I called Rich and I was like, I've been in your space. And I apologize. And I'm releasing you to your life in complete love. So eat what you want, do what you want, realize or don't realize, you know, eat in and out burgers, drink, like do whatever (laughs) you want. And I'm going to love you unconditionally. And I know he didn't, he was like, what's the catch? Like, you know, she's going to grab me and, you know, something's going to happen, like an ambush. But he could feel that the terrain had changed. I had that. I had looked over the fence, and once you've seen the snake that's a rope, it was over for me. So it was that act that catalyzed his moment on the stairs, walking up where he had a health scare, where he became transformed and entered into this whole life. It was that act that did wow. it. It wasn't just the health. And
1: makes perfect sense. Yeah, it was yeah. profound. Yeah, it's so it's so classic. Especially when dealing with alcoholics, I I just got to say cuz I'm one. We're fucking wired different. Yeah. I'm sorry. We're different animals. Mm-hmm. I've tried to wiggle out of that for all of these years and I just we're we're weird. Mm-hmm. Not calling your husband weird, but I can call myself weird. You guys are special. Uh, and every uh, yeah, special. I mean weird in a good sense.
2: Yeah.
1: Like a weird song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Grateful Dead makes weird music. It's the most beautiful music ever. It's fucking yeah. weird. <laughs> but it's like with an alcoholic there's this this internal defiance. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has a certain degree of egoic rebelliousness, right? But there's this this certain quirk of defiance with an alcoholic where if you tell them what to do, mm-hmm. they just are implored to do the opposite. And the minute you do kind of a reverse psychology thing on us, and mm-hmm. be like, hey, you know what? Just do whatever. <laughs> we're like, yeah, I'll do your thing now. It's just like, ah, you know? Yeah. I know this because I've, I've worked with so many alcoholics yeah. on a one-on-one basis, you know? And i am just, it's, you really do almost some, not that you were using reverse psychology in this case, but it had sort of that net effect. Yeah, Rich, you know? Rich it's, it's describes really it
0: that he was like, wait a second. You mean she's not she's not trying to solve me anymore? Well, then that just leaves me with me. Right. So uh, now I'm going to have to face me. Right. Because I can't like push back at her and make her the focus.
1: How do you in your relationship, and you might not even frame it this way, but How does the polarity work? You mentioned you still have this attraction and intimacy and sexuality that's alive and well after all of these years, Mm -hmm. which to me sounds challenging, but you're someone who's you know, you've got a public persona, you're being a mother, which mothering to me, and I've, you know, I've not had kids, but to me that can be a pretty masculine energy. You know, you're running shit, you're controlling shit, you're protecting. Uh, There's a certain element of that sort of energy in there and and having a career and making money and being a boss and having a team is very proactive sort of yang energy, Mm. right? How do you manage the energetic polarity in your relationship when it comes to the masculine and feminine? And is that something that you two are aware of, talk about, or does it just work itself out naturally?
0: I'm not exactly sure of the question, but I'll just go for it. In, in terms of, okay,
1: for two beings to be attracted, you have to have polarity, right? It's not mm-hmm. about male or female mm-hmm. genitals, but it's like two sameness. You just butt up against each other like batteries, right? Right. So being someone who is powerful like you are, Mm -hmm. some of that power manifesting in the world and more of a masculine energy, Mm -hmm. how do you guys sort of dance Mm -hmm. with that, the the energies of masculine and feminine?
0: Yeah, well, I think that... um, Does that make more sense when I frame it that way? Yeah, sort of. Um, I'll try. Let me try. Um, I think that uh, we are both here to maybe ignite that opposite energy within each other, right? So... I think Rich is learning more about femininity and I'm learning more about masculinity, maybe. And some of it just works its way out. But I mean, ultimately, we have both energies within us. So what what we're cultivating is a connection to both things. And like even with the return of the feminine and like, you know, everything that's happening in this life, in this realm, both are needed. Like both are within us. So... I think it's a cadence. You know, sometimes we have certain knowings about each other. And so like in the mechanics of the day-to-day, like there are certain things that we know work and certain things that don't. So we know things about each other. So for instance, we don't really speak in the morning because inevitably it's going to end up in a in a fight if we talk in the morning. Because I'm uber sensitive. I'm coming out of, you know, my very a womb-like experience. Very, very sensitive. And he's very irritated and like needs to get out, like needs to get out and move his body and get, you know, like he's more in an aggro state like normally and needs to go move his body to get everything balanced. And I'm in a very soft kind of tender state. So if we try to communicate with those two dualities, it's not meeting. Got it. So, you know, so that's like a mechanical thing. Sure. Um, you know, he sleeps in a tent outside. I was going to get to that. He loves freezing temperatures, and also he's he's extremely sensitive uh, in a way that he needs a womb, like almost like the the tent, like the closed space of the tent. Like I, I want him to get a gravity blanket because I think it would do amazingly well for him. Um, he was never a cuddler in bed. He doesn't like to be touched. If I happen to brush against him, he might like. Jerk violently, you know. So, <laughs> so that's not happening in our life. Right. That's just not happening. Right. So, and because I process a lot of things in the middle of the night, many times I'm up at 4:30 a.m. doing sadhana, doing yoga, doing practices, and I like to flow in my life. And so, if I have him there, then I can't, or I'm at peril of like waking him up. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of funny, but we. I told you we had had this ceremony for our 15th year anniversary and he got in a hotel room, you know, this great hotel. And so we did the ceremony. We had this amazing time together and it's like total love fest, just amazing. We had an amazing vegan meal. And then we come back to the room and we're in this bed that's like kind of small and I'm lying down and I look at him and I'm like, what do you think? And he goes, risky. <laughs> and so I'm like, babe, I'm like, I'm going to go I'm gonna. Ju- I'm gonna go back to the kids anyway. I don't want to leave them. So you enjoy it. Get up in the morning. You know, go for a run. Like enjoy. And so I just split. But for us, it was like such a triumph. Like I don't need to spend that time with him in that space. So a lot of it is just I don't know. Just sort That's of working so cool. it out.
1: Yeah, it just kind of naturally works itself out. I think my question is born from my innate curiosity. In that, in past relationships in a couple instances when we both in one particular case we had a business together mm. and we're both in business we're both out there like crushing it mm-hmm. and after a few years it was difficult for us to sort of turn off the business partner thing sure. and so we're like bros now like let's do this let's lay in bed and talk about money right. and plans and it was like wow no mm-hmm. sex happening here you mm-hmm. know and so I, i'm just always curious i think about about the interplay of of having a family and a home and the responsibilities and how the energetic tendencies mm-hmm. play out. Mm-hmm. So
0: I would say... Does, in the, does that make sense? Yeah, so I mean, in maybe, that case, what I would say is that just like everything, just like every creative project in your life, it's a garden, it's a virtual garden, your relationship. If you do not tend to it properly, it will not grow. It will not fruition. And so within our busy lives, we have date times.
1: Ah, there we We go. We
0: have scheduled times together. This is the moment where we're doing this. And during that time, no business, no talking about that, no discussing, no kids, no. So we have to actually make the moment to cultivate. And with me, I want my time with Rich to be memorable. So I would rather see him not at all for, you know, 10 days or in passing and have one meeting at a hotel room with a ceremony with some magic that is meaningful where we actually committed to something that was deeper and then we go back to whatever we're doing so what we do as parents and you you'll find this out if you ever have kids or anybody watching if you make your life all about your kids and which I'm devoted to my kids and you know my kids are my deepest gurus and what a blessing and what a ass kicker and what an amazing experience. However, I have always carved out time for the mama and daddy or for the two partners because that is the core and your children need that unit together. So as parents, sometimes we think we're doing the highest for our kids by not doing the self-care thing or not spending time with our partner because, well, you know, Johnny had a whatever. No, you have to be smart and Cultivate that time for yourself because that's the core relationship that is holding the field for the other family members
1: that's awesome yeah that's it's sort of um, it brings to mind this tendency that some parents have when a relationship is clearly over of state quote unquote staying together for the kids mm. even though there's tension and animosity mm. within the home mm. I, I never and I'm no expert on parenting or relationships by any stretch, but but that never sounds like a good idea to me. Because the container that those kids are in is broken. You know, it yeah, doesn't I mean, have that sort of that I've, foundation that's created from
0: I mean again the partnership. And just to say that there are many, there are many there are many um organizations of life. So nothing's an absolute. So it yeah. could there could be a situation where it actually was beautiful and that's great. But what I would say is if we as parents think that we're keeping things from our children, we think we're hiding things from our children, we are in big illusion. Right. So either <laughs> right. they know consciously or they know unc- They know it. Okay. Right. So I used to have a friend who cheated on her husband out- outwardly. And um, this is a hard point of us to connect. But she would bring uh, men that she was in relationship with around her kids with the awareness that they had no idea. Right. And I was like, that's, you're completely in denial. They know. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like thoughts are things, energies are things. People know. You can know. You don't have to say it outwardly. So, this is another way as far as living your life. One of my great awarenesses that has helped me connect with my kids in a very deep way. Is by being very honest about my life. So I have been very honest about my drug use, about my uh, promiscuity, about my ills, my pains, you know, things that have happened in my life because I think as parents, we think we're supposed to portray this perception, this persona of perfection to your child. So they're like, oh, you're the perfect parent. But what we've forgotten is that humanity is deeply flawed. And so your child is dealing with their own inner turmoil of reconciliation of the human condition, whether it's from their own experience or whether it's from uh, the collective, you know, just the collective. And so when we portray this facade of perfection of like i've got it all handled and i've never done anything wrong and i always tell the truth and i've always and i've never used and i've always done this what it does is it creates a separation from the hum- from the child to the parent and i know in my own case when i told my my oldest son at like age 10 you know we had like a sex conversation over dinner over a lunch you know he asked to borrow my credit card and went in a flower store and bought me a bouquet of flowers at age 10. And when I told him that I had used drugs and I told him the reality of drug, they sighed a relief and they said, I'm so relieved. They said the words, Mom, I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. Because they had another scenario going on at school and they they were trying to bridge the gap. So, I'm, you know, trust me, like, I live a spiritual life. I live a holistic life. I'm not into like doing drugs with my kids. Like, I don't do that anymore, you know? But we can't be sneaking Dove bars at night and then telling our kids to live plant based. You know? <laughs> right. yeah, it's like yeah. they're just too smart. Yeah. So, if you do that... Because they're
1: not kids. They're souls that exactly, have been here a zillion times. Exactly. They're looking at you like, oh, seriously? You think I don't know you're smoking cigarettes in the garage, yes, dad? Yes,
0: yes, they know. And thank you for saying that. And I would say probably, you know, people ask me like, what is Cookies like? She's like, stop telling me to be quiet. She's in, She's fine. But you touched on something that's super powerful, I think. And that is that, you know, people ask me, well, you know, you know what is what is your secret secret with raising your kids and how did you cultivate this relationship with them and i think it's that i always knew they were vast souls i never regarded them as just a kid from the time they were babies because i knew it um and also it's important to note that your kids will reject you at some point because it is absolutely necessary and it's it's tragic and hilarious at one because you're like you know, your kid is rejecting everything that you've stood for. And then you're like, you know, you're like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we've had this thing. Like, it's been going on for 20 years. Like, what do you mean? And they're just like, no, you're completely irrelevant. Like, everything you've said, you know. Is it
1: not wired into, yeah. into kids? Yeah. That nature designed them to... Yeah. Become independent it, they and just reject to, you? They
0: have to separate to find themselves in right. order to do it. And it's really painful. I mean, I'll make, you know, my, my boys moved out very late at age like 20 and 21, you know, they or 22 and 23. They moved to Los Feliz, like 45 minutes away. And I cried the entire month before they left Aww. and didn't even hold it in. I was like, you guys, I'm not even going to hold it in. I'm just yeah, going to break down just gonna in gonna your lose
2: arms. Your shit. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it was because we had shared this amazing thing. We were very close for a very long time. And right. now, I need to let them go, and it's a practice. You know, I look down, and it's like I mean, we played gigs together, we, you know, rehearsed together, we recorded together. Like I wasn't just a mom to them; it was more than that. Uh, but you know, it's necessary it's when it necessary. comes to
1: when it comes to showing your truth to your kids and and being real with them. Where is the where is the line of boundaries and enmeshment? Well, you
0: know, again, it's, I
1: experienced. The extreme version of what you just described of
0: inappropriate,
1: yeah, of yes. just things that I wasn't ready to You're hear. You're like,
0: hey, Please, TMI. Like, like be I, experienced, quiet.
1: I experienced a lot of TMI yeah. as a kid, and it was mm-hmm. it was psychologically actually damaging, damaging to me. I mean, fences have been mended, and all mm-hmm. is forgiven, and all is mm-hmm. well. And you know, my parents were twenty seven when they had mm-hmm. me. They they
0: didn't
1: know. Oh my god! If I would have mm-hmm. had a kid at twenty seven, they I would have probably dropped him in the first week on the. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, right. it's just I get it. But it's something a lot of undoing has had to happen because there were not boundaries and confines of what any sense of normalcy in mm-hmm. in that
0: Well, again, I think respect. it's discernment. And I think right. um, as parents, we're going to all make mistakes. And even if it wasn't a mistake in the time that it happened, then it will become a mistake to the kids later as they're trying to like unravel it. Like in my memoir, I have this idea that I'm, you know, going to write, like, this is my perception of my life. Like, I don't expect anybody else to have had the same experience that I have because we're all looking at it through our own lens, you know, for what it, it it was the meaning that it was to me that my life took it up and and made meaning out of it. So again, I think it's discernment and every child is different. So, you know, my boys were very mature. They were, you know, they had an intellectual maturity of probably 17 year old at age 10, you know, so they, they, it was appropriate for them. They could grab all those elements and they could process it. Whereas, you know, my other daughter, um, actually we've, we've had genius. She's 14. We just had a hike yesterday and we talked all about drugs, like the entire, like we've been talking about drugs, like ad nauseum, like everything about them and like how they feel and what are the pros and what are the cons, if there's any pros. But, you know, I'm just... <laughs> I would
1: say as a drug addict, a former drug addict, there's pros. There's
0: pros. So, but, <laughs> for but a I'm, while. But for I've been while. in this dialogue with her and I'm just grateful for the dialogue. That's cool. You know, cool. And there's a lot more cussing. I don't want to hear it. There's a lot more, you yeah. know, da- nasty talk, like whatever. I mean, they're completely potty mouth, completely out of control at that age. Yeah. But you have to let them do that you know, in order to, and she's awesome. You know, she just, she just got into, um, an amazing art school, you know, on her own. She worked on a portfolio for a year and a half. She got into age 14. She's going to four year art school, like full time starting next month
2: Wow, as a painter,
0: you know, and she's self-advocating. She's totally responsible. She's driving me crazy. Like she literally is, um, she's gone already. She's 14 and she's gone. She might as well be 18. So, um, but that's, I'm proud of that. I mean, that's what, that's what we want, you know? And then my other daughter, Jaya, she's much more conservative, you know, she'll cover her eyes if she sees something that's not okay for her. So, you know, I've had less dialogue with her in, in those areas. So you have to know your audience.
1: Right. You know, you know Yeah. No, <laughs> know. It's well, well stated. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, it's something I've worked on in my adult life. Cause I'm just, super raw and real. Mm. And I think at times I've been unconscious of the fact that I've made people uncomfortable Mm. in the way that I just share everything and and that I swear Mm. so much and things like that. And Mm. it's been a lesson I've had to learn to have a little more discernment about Mm. when and with whom I'm sharing what. So that's... um,
0: I like your openness. And you. And you're cussing as well. well so thank you. A. Fuck you. Thank you. No, I did not mean that.
1: <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, it's funny doing the, the podcast. I'm always a bit torn because I have received at times, and I, of course, magnify any criticism of the work that I'm doing a million times because mm. I'm just that way but a few people over the past couple years have said hey you know your swearing is really offensive or Mm -hmm. i can't listen to the show around my kids and so Mm -hmm. i'm always trying to edit myself because i want to be respectful but it is also just the way i talk and it's Mm -hmm. difficult to be something other than myself
0: and i would say and you shouldn't
1: anything other than yourself it's a fine line you know you 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 don't want i mean i think what you know what it comes from too is years ago my dad who i have so much love and respect for him he's just such a stellar guy just Mm. my hero and my dad came to me a few years ago he's been happily married to his third wife now for 18 years Um, that's not my mom obviously and um he came to me and said luke can i talk to you i said yeah he said well you know I want to take responsibility that all through your childhood, I, I swore like a sailor. I know that's the way I've always talked. I allowed, I was allowed to swear when I was a mm-hmm. kid and do all kinds of crazy stuff. And he said, so I'm taking responsibility for that, but I'm in this new relationship. And, um, and May, his wife, she's somewhat more conservative than I think people you're used to being around. And it really bothers her when you swear and it's really offensive to her and makes her feel really uncomfortable.
2: Mm-hmm. So I'm going to
1: request, not demand, but I'm going to request that when you're in her presence and my presence, if you could not swear. Mm-hmm. And I was like, respect, cool. I don't mm-hmm. want to make anyone uncomfortable or feel right. bad or offend them. And then he shared something with me. He said, you know, he's probably in his late 60s at that point. he said, you know, in all those years that you saw me speaking that way, I didn't know it, but I was really damaging a lot of my relationships, especially many of my professional relationships at that time because mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was offending other people. Mm-hmm. And then people that I had interacted with and done business with for years later came to me and said, wow, I you know, I always felt it was so disrespectful the way that you spoke and things like that. In other words, it had hindered his ability mm-hmm. to foster relationships and, and um, he had harmed people in some degree mm-hmm. by using that kind of language. And for some reason, that brief conversation always stuck with me. Mm -hmm. I was like, just because I'm not offended by any Mm -hmm. type of, I mean, you could call me anything and I'm like, whatever, it's just words. Right. But some people are super offended. Yeah. They're offended and bothered Mm -hmm. by language, Mm -hmm. you know? So
0: what's your, what's your, uh, what's your most frequently used cuss word?
1: Probably fuck. I say like fucking this, fucking that a lot.
0: Fuck is a great word. (laughs) Well, listen, how do you, can I, well, then I
1: saw Tony, a Tony Robbins event uh, a few months ago. Fuck. Oh, constantly. He's like, yeah, these motherfuckers are doing great. I was like, what? There's 12,000 people in this stadium. They're cheering. They're eating it up. And a lot of them are Christian and whatever. And then I was very confused because I thought, okay, he's using it for impact and he's yeah. just being authentic. That's obviously the way he speaks. So I was like, oh, now I'm really screwed because I'm trying to be high vibe and not he's offend people be gonna... and be authentic at the same time. And eventually I'm just I don't know what the answer well, it is. What would have been
0: great would have been if you'd gotten really judgmental to Tony Robbins about the fact that he's <laughs> Yeah, done. right, no. right. No, but like can I ask you, have you seen the uh the presentation by Osho on the word fuck?
1: No. <gasps> I'm fascinated. Okay. Oh, this is going to go on the show notes. You got to go on
0: the show notes. Okay. Yeah. This is one of the most brilliant pieces of a video film that I've ever seen. It's what? literally so hilarious. He basically goes into that word and explains it on every single realm. And it's absolutely hilarious on every level.
1: I'm feeling this might validate my use, my further use of the word. <laughs> I think so. I mean, if
0: I was going to tell you, I just think that, first of all, I've been with you for a couple hours and I think you've used it twice and I've used it maybe twice. Of course, I'm just like you, so we're, yeah. we're vibing together. Right. It's, um, it's also, um, you know, a great, a great group of the population that we are being the way showers for are the youth, you know, a lot younger than we are.
2: Yeah, and I forget a, that. Sometimes. And I get
0: messages like it made me so relieved that you used that word because I could understand your humanity and not. You know, I think sometimes when you're when you're talking about spiritual issues or whatever, people tend to separate. You know, provide that separation between you and someone, and you know, so it actually drew together. Like, oh, you're very human. You know, in a way,
1: I've gotten that a lot yeah. too. And so, actually, the more real, authentic, and forthright I've been Mm -hmm. in my delivery, whether I'm interviewing others or being interviewed, the more uh, Mm -hmm. positive responses I get from people. So I, as I said, I just magnify the couple critiques out of 300 people that said, oh my God, you're so real and so awesome. You're raw and I love it. Mm -hmm. The two people that were like, I'm offended. Those are the ones my mind focuses on. (laughs) Of course. I'm just that way, you know? So, okay, I didn't find
0: it offensive at all. I don't think you have a problem with it. I don't think you have Tourette's or anything like that. I don't think so either. I think you're a pretty feeling sensitive being. And yeah, and thanks for offering that. And I'll also do a little observation of my use of the word. Make sure that you use it for impact. There's, but include that Osho right. piece.
1: Oh, I'm I'm on it. Yeah. I I think part of it too is there's I have this inherent sense of paranoia now because of the PC culture that Mm. is so prevalent. Mm. that things I just grew up saying that had no meaning in the context of them was just in passing and just having fun (laughs) now, now are a thing that you can be ostracized for online and like lose your quote unquote audience or i.e. your revenue streams. And it's like, oh my God, I feel like there's someone watching all the time. And you have to be so careful not to offend people because there's this I don't know a generational or cultural yeah. phenomenon where it, people internalize words now, and there's this this sort of Orwellian Marxist thought policing happening. That one side of me is afraid of it, and the other side's like, "I'm going to be worse than ever now. Like, sure. I'm just going to rebel against that and just offend everyone across the board well, because it just so it pisses me off so much that we're being that manipulated, we're
0: being edited at that level. Yeah, and I mean, a it's, really it's brilliant. Offensive. Uh, yeah, I find it's offensive. it offensive
1: to be edited. So listen you know, to... So I don't know. To
0: my children, Uh my daughter was really into Japan and anime like a, a couple years ago. And so uh, I drove them to the 99 cent uh, Japanese store that's on Sautel, like Oh in LA, yeah, that right? place is dope. Yeah. yeah, so we went in yeah. there and they each had 20 bucks and they went crazy and bought like the coolest stuff and it was really fun. And then I said... They bought some candy, which I let them buy, which I never do, but but because it's packaged in like Japan Japanese packaging, which is so brilliant. Like it's just cool. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you can have that. And we were gonna have dinner. And so I said to my daughter and her friends, I said, We don't have time to have dinner because I have to go back, drive back an hour. But I said, You guys can sit in the back and eat the Japanese candy. And then they go, Mom, you're so racist. And I said, what are you talking about? And they go, you're so racist. I mean, you called the candy Japanese.
1: Oh my God. And I was like,
0: I go, that's what it is. I go, it's, I said it's Japanese candy. Yeah, I know, mom, but you're so racist. And I was just like, "Oh my goodness! Like the, this is where we're at."
1: That's what I'm talking about. Right? That, this makes me want to punch a wall. I Honestly, know. it. I find that so irritating. Um, and that's that's the thing. So it's finding the balance, but at the same time, I actually care about people, and I don't want to hurt people's feelings. Of course. But, um, I'm sorry, but there there's male bodies and female bodies, and there's just basic fundamental. Facts that exist right. in nature, such as uh, some candy that's made in Japan. It's fucking Japanese candy. I'm sorry. <laughs> right, you know
0: what exactly. I mean? It's like, it's like, it's not racist. Like, yeah. it, that's what it is. That's the quality that, of what it is. But
1: isn't that interesting that your children have been indoctrinated oh, yeah. through media and through our exactly. culture to to right. latch on to these thought forms right. that have no basis in reality? No.
0: And now my daughter and I had this conversation yesterday. She's really into rap. Um, we saw an amazing movie, Blind Spotting. Is that the name of it? it. Oh my goodness, it's um, Utkarsh, Rich's recent podcast guest and friend. Is has like a beautiful set piece in it, and most of the actors are from Hamilton. And it's a beautiful movie on racism. It's so well done. I was so so happy to see a good piece of art, you know, that's really compelling. So afterwards, we were talking about race, and we were talking about the use of certain words and like who, you know, when is it okay? And I said is it still the right thing for me to refer to people of color as African-American? Because when I grew up, it was black, but then there became a moment where you could no longer say black. I had to say African-American. And now my daughter's like, no, you say black. Like it's so racist oh, it's to say- it's come back around. Yeah, now it's like racist <laughs> to say African-American. That's good because
1: I just call people the black guy, black. the white guy, yeah. maybe the Latin guy, the Asian guy. I think those are my- Those are your things? Yeah. or And, and I guess I would say- Indian, if they were from India, you're or so racist. Probably, <laughs> probably Native American if they were Native American Indian, because yeah. I don't want to confuse someone in the conversation. I have to explain that it's American Indian, not Eastern Indian. Anyway,
0: so you I see, just, it's, it's 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 a moving target. Well, and what
1: and what's absurd about it is, oh God, this, this is with all this like identity politics. Is mm-hmm. that. You're not even a woman sitting in front of me to me. Like mm-hmm. when I look in your eyes, there's no fucking woman. Mm-hmm. There's an it-ness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Let alone the pigmentation of your skin. Like everyone's so caught up in this shit. Yeah. It's like almost a perpetuation of racism just to be so obsessed on racism. It's like, how about we just fucking leave the whole thing out and each person is just a spiritual entity right. using some different color, different gendered body part thingy to meander around the physical right. plane, you know, I'm not even in that headspace.
0: And maybe this leads us back kind of full circle. And this is the work or this is the opportunity of us is to go into these isms that have been implanted in our field, like me with blonde, blonde person. Right. And say, okay, I rescind from that program. I am going to identify those belief systems that exist in me that don't even belong to me because I see everybody as a beautiful emanation of spirit. So let me disconnect from that and let me just meet you in equality, in celebration, in beauty, in reverence for the fact that you're alive. How amazing. You're an aspect of God. What what can you teach me? Show me your brilliance. But that, again, that's a level of us saying no, saying no, we're not going to do that. We're just not going to be that knee-jerk, controlled person because that's someone put that ism in the culture.
1: Well, it sounds like you've done that with parenting. As you're saying, you don't view your kid as a kid Mm. or your kid as a Mm -hmm. possession, but as this entity that's come through Mm -hmm. these lifetimes and is time traveling and boop, happened to show up inside your body and come out and say, hey, I'm here. I'm on a journey. You're part of it because you brought me here. But the obligation is almost, you know, to each of our own experience than it is, you know, the expression that our body takes or our position in a family or something. So I love thinking way zoomed out and globally like that it makes the, the world uh, make much more sense to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: a couple of things i want to cover so speaking of how we identify ourselves and how we view someone based on external rather than what's going on internally you've got this spiritual name Mati, <laughs> right yeah uh- and at one point, I I emailed into the Kundalini Center World Headquarters. Like, what is his name? And it, well, and I, No, no, for me. And I gave him yeah. my birth date and time, oh, and, right. and they gave me back my spiritual name. I thought, you know, the, the really dope Yogi Bhajan authorized woman that does it was still alive. My teacher, Tej, just said, she's really old. If you're going to get your name, do it now, even if you don't use it. And I've never been called to refer to myself as anything other than my name, but many people um, have. And so you sometimes use your given name Mm. and sometimes use your spiritual name. Mm. And then in doing my research on you, as you can tell that I've done, um, you were given the spiritual name by, by a teacher and then this teacher wanted you to legally change your name and you sort of defied the tradition of that name giving ceremony and said, no, I'm just going to use it when I feel like it. What, who gave you the name? Mm -hmm. Uh, what relevance does it hold for you? And Mm -hmm. why do you not go by that all the time?
0: Okay. Beautiful. So I had a a breakup with us, with my, my first, um, spiritual teacher that I referred to earlier. Uh, and the way that, uh, Divine Mother brought it to me was in a very violent way. So it's like I was... Sorry, it looks like my children are on the roof right now for some reason. Okay. good. Uh, so anyway, I'd had a break with this teacher who was not in Indian traditions. And it was... Uh, I was in a very, very dark place. I felt completely isolated, unable to process this split or this pain with anyone because I didn't really know anyone else who had had a breakup with their guru that was basically... You know, I had been served a legal summons, like it was really not cool at all. And I was getting a very profound lesson in giving my power away because I had wanted to be a very, it was a very ambitious, devoted student. And I had done my best to serve this master. And then he turned on me.
1: I've had that same experience. Okay,
0: so cool. So, um, so as a result, I ended up meeting this Indian master. Um, I'm gonna maybe leave him name nameless for this, just because I um, I think it's better. So I. Um, I, I met him actually at the Hindu temple, which was right near my house. I wasn't going to go. A friend of mine was like, will you take me there? I want to do a homa, which is like a fire ceremony. So I went there and met this master. And when he was speaking, I knew I was meeting the master because I could feel the words just penetrating my body. And I was like, oh. I was in like brown corduroys and like a Malibu sweatshirt, you know, completely, um, just completely, you know, casualed out, not in the outfit or anything like that. And then I signed up for a workshop with him, and I guess on some form, I had checked that I wanted a spiritual name, but I forgot about it. So I was in the audience, and all of a sudden, they were like, okay, we're going to call up a certain people who are getting spiritual names, and they called my name, and I was kind of like shocked. Well, what he explained to us is that the spiritual name has three aspects. He meditates on the being of who you are. It's your path to enlightenment. And it is also your goal of enlightenment if there is a goal. So it's the being of who you are, your path of your journey, and your destination. All of it. Well, I had been studying this very heady cerebral practice of past life regression of information, of occult information, of theosophy. Like very old, it was like a dusty, musty book from the libraries of London. You know, like you could blow on it and the dust would go. And I was getting very bogged down by it. Like my body was saying, I just want to be, I just want to be, I just want to be. And there was all this talking and no experiential, little experiential, you know, experience. And so... There were three paths uh, in this tradition. One was Ananda, which was bliss. One was, I think, Prema, which was intellectual. It might have been karma service. And the third was like a karma service, something like that. And so I was in line just in my head thinking like, I want to be such a good student. Like, I wonder if he's going to give me a life of intellectual pursuit or I wonder if he's going to give me a life of karma, service, you know. And I went up and I kneeled before him and he looked me in the eye and he said, your name is Ananda Srimati, which means blissful, beautiful, and fortunate. Now be that. And at that moment, it was a transcendental, Transcended experience. It was like 10,000 bricks fell off my back. And I was reminded that I am an artist. That's who I am. That is my divine work. You know, I don't need to become an intellectual or become a scientist or go be Mother Teresa in order to verify and validate who I am. And so I was liberated in that moment to a great degree. And this name is a very beautiful name for me because of this reason. Also, because one of my most beloved Indian uh, energies is uh, Ma Anandamoy Ma, and which she is Shri. No, she's Shri Ma Anandamoy Ma. We have almost the same syllables in our names, and she's a revered Indian consciousness that was born, realized, absolutely breathtaking being. Like, when I saw pictures of her, I almost fell on my knees. Like, she is beauty embodied, literally beauty embodied. So, I collected this name with reverence, and because I went through that deep dismantle, and also in this separation from this teacher is where I found my music. I started to make sounds with this harmonium and suddenly the song started writing me. I wasn't trying to write music. I was totally disconnected from that, even though I had been a singer when I was six and knew that I was. So I said that I would use that name to represent my artistic offerings out of devotion to that experience. So in the aftermath of that experience, the devotees, what happened is in his organization, a lot of people started asking for spiritual names. And a lot of people were not sincere. You know, they they wanted it like a new bag, a new Prada bag or something like yeah. that. And so some of my friends, they were like, wow, that's such an incredible name. So they signed up for the next meditation retreat and they asked for a spiritual name. And when he named them... He named them American names like <laughs> Allison, Allison, Pamela, Tracy. It was a hilarious because he
1: sensed the motive was yeah. Because the sincere. motive they didn't right. really, and
0: then they were like, "What? Like you got Ma Nanda Srimati and I got Your name's like dope. I got like got Allison. I got a good one. Yeah. So, so that's kind of why. Um, and I I've shortened it to Srimati because it's so hard for people to even you know even grab that totally. you know like my my good friends call me shri shri Mum, shri ma um you know just kind of like that but it's a it's a beautiful name that reminds me that i have permission to just be in beauty and just just be that
1: that's cool i love that yeah i think that um in some cases uh perhaps people and maybe like you know the the ladies that got the um, the the American names that got dissed on that. <laughs> I think sometimes uh, in an effort to lose identification with the false personality of Joe Smith, Jane Smith, that some seekers will take on a spiritual name and then thus also just create a new identity that's this sort of egoic spirit, this spiritual ego mm-hmm. kind of in that name and take on this sense of um, specialness, you know, and this is not something I've experienced, but 've experienced observing people in the spiritual communities for some time, you know because mm-hmm. there 's that whole trap, that allure of the specialness and having I mean, a special name and special dress and stuff. When any of your gurus sing, I asked him about that i said what 's with you know the spiritual costumes that people mm-hmm. like you wear mm-hmm. you know what what 's up with that is that Is that another trap and he's right. like you know guru Singh was amazing, he goes. He said, no, man, you know, uh, I just like to do a lot of yoga and this clothing's comfortable. <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> it's like, okay,
1: cool. I'll take that answer.
0: But and you, can we just talk about his impeccable design? I mean, I you mean, know, come on. Yeah, like you, he is color-coded, like classy, classy, amazing, amazing, amazing you garb.
1: You can't really mess with Guru you Singh's with uh, wardrobe sing. choices. But no, no. I was getting at, yeah, you I know, the, the false gurus mm-hmm. in the orange mm-hmm. robes and all the mm-hmm. flowers and the pedestal they sit on and that whole kind of astral circus that's common in some um, spiritual circles yeah and it's
0: important and i do want to share this two two things that getting the spiritual name was transformative for me and part of it is that you know it takes a lot of courage to change your name you know and it's it's, it's weird and it's you know i mean it's bizarre it's weird and at least you know i I legit was named that by somebody. I didn't just go, okay, now call me, you know, Sunshine or whatever <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. which actually would be fine. But it takes courage to do that. It's odd. You know, it's weird. But then what happened in his organization, then he changed the rule after he'd given it to me and because he wanted to make sure people were really dedicated. So he said that if you got a spiritual name, you had to change it legal, legally. It was a requirement. So the devotees called me and they said, Julie, you have to change your name to Ananda Srimati. And I said, no, I don't. I said, I'm not changing my name. I said that those were not the terms that I entered into the agreement. And furthermore, that naming ceremony that happened between us changed me forever. And it was between me and Divine Mother sourcing through him. He can't take it away from me. He can never take it away from me because it happened. And no, I'm not changing my name. (laughs) and so they were like you know well what about julie and he was like julie can do whatever she wants so it's it, the, i share that not to say oh you know you know just to show people that the guru meets you where you need to learn the lesson so my first teacher took my power away because i needed to learn about giving my power away the second guru that i had was him And every time I told him, I channeled this beautiful song after doing the meditation you taught me, he would say, beautiful, now drop me. Every single time, drop me. He never uh, fostered a connection with him because I was at a different stage of my evolution. And one experience which was really profound was, you know, we would go in line for Darshan and he would dance and he turned into this beautiful, like, literally, like, goddess, like man, woman, I don't know what. It was crazy what he used to embody. And I would always go in line and my human mind would be thinking, does he know that he was with me in the astral last night? Does he know we had this exchange? Does he remember me from last week? What did he think of the note that I sent him? You know, did he like my song? You know, I'd be thinking all these things. And then one day I was in line for Darshan and I was just empty. There was nothing there. And when I got in front of him, he literally grabbed me, put me in his arms and rocked me like a baby, laughing his head off. Everybody was just, their mouths were open. They were looking because the guru doesn't touch the, usually touch you know the devotee. And it was as if he snatched me when I wasn't looking. And what I realized is all those times I had come to him with all my bullshit that was between me and him. It was like between me and God. And I had all my preconceived ideas and everything else. And when I was empty, he just grabbed me and gave me this magnificent blessing. And so really this teacher was the most profound. This was the teacher that was the channel that catalyzed everything that has put Rich in my life into the space that it is. And since that time... He has been accused of all kinds of colorful things. And, you know, that's a whole nother story. And all I have is my personal experience with him. And that is what it is, you know? Wow. Um. So he's already been through many different incarnations. Doesn't even look like the same being as the being that I was with. Wow. Interesting. It's profound.
1: That's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. I love stories about mystics. Mm. That's what first really drew me to those types of uh, teachings when I was right before I was sober, my uh, dad's side of the family, they were going and uh, staying at the ashram of Satya Sai Baba. You mm. know, the big oh, drunk, goodness. Who also, after he passed, all these weird rumors came out about him too. I think yeah, it's just it's always it's right. part of the guru trip. Exactly. Uh, but they would go over there and have these miraculous experiences mm-hmm. and come back and tell mm-hmm. me, and I'm addicted to crack and heroin and just like about to die. And they'd mm-hmm. say, oh, he manifested this ring for me. It just came out of his hand. and. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was just so fascinated by all that. I think beginning when I was nine, my mom took me to see Muktananda at his ashram in Oakland. Yeah, it was a very… Very auspicious.
0: Wow, that moment. is auspicious.
1: Yeah, it was. It was really cool, and mm. uh, and I mean, I was just enamored with his whole thing, even at eight or nine. I mean, it was just like whatever was going on in that room with the incense and the bare feet and that right. dude in his red hat and the whole thing was just fantastic. So years later, I started, you know, picking up the books and and looking into that, and I've always just been fascinated, particularly with the saints of India, mm. and I just find it so strange that they all come from that continent yeah. at this point in yeah in, in human history mm-hmm. for the past few thousand years. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to stop. I mean, I went and saw this guy Sri M speak a couple years ago. And it was that thing you described where the wind just blows through you. And I was like, that is a powerful entity right there. And I've seen all the fake gurus, well not all of them, but many of them and I've been into this shit for a long time. Mm-hmm. And that that country, it's just so weird. It keeps producing Mm -hmm. these just fantastic beings it's so strange and having gone there and spent some time there and seen some sort of like sideshow shyster gurus (laughs) that are like pretending they're a thing they have a fake little (laughs) ashram and they're not the real thing and you sense that immediately and then some you know ones that don't Mm -hmm. have an ashram and don't have the clothes and you just look in their eyes and you're taken away to this Mm -hmm. faraway place it's just such a fascinating thing and um Yeah. So I I love, I love stories like that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So, um, okay. So let me see here. I I think I'm coming to the place where I feel like I can let you go soon. I just, I had so much stuff I wanted to discuss with you. And it's interesting because I don't know that much. I mean, I've do some research on everyone that I interview, but we've not spent a lot of time together. I just, I think there's the brief time I spent with you on the panel at Whitma, you were way down there. You had a big hat on. And when when I asked the questions that I asked on that panel, which uh, were pretty deep questions, you know, what is God to you? How do you talk to God? They were very direct questions about inner spiritual experience. And you were just so confident and so sort of brazen with your answers, uh, but at the same time, intimate and soft. I just thought, man, you got to share her with the world for Mm, those that haven't heard. Thank you. Uh, But I don't want to leave here and not have... (laughs) 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 Oh, I know. Okay, I know what I wanted to go back to. I want to jump back to the relationship piece because I'm just fascinated by what you guys have going on, especially Mm. now knowing a little bit more intimately how that works. But you mentioned your ability to uh, resolve conflicts
0: Mm.
1: quickly. What basic tools do you and your husband use to resolve issues when they do arise?
0: Well, I think that, again, we have that... We have a deep commitment, and the the true desire of each one of us is to resolve a, a conflict. Not we, to be right, yeah, not to be right. <laughs> so we know we know better that that we can be right or we can be happy. We can have a happy marriage. Totally. Yeah. So, but within that, I think each of us have the ability to take responsibility. You know, for our own experience, and um, and also I think you know, Rich really with the programming with the 12 step, it really gives him an ability. Like he really cares. We're we're not here to wound each other. We're not here to leave the other person with something harmful. So we resolve it. We don't leave each other like out in the sea hurting. Like that's not the point. So I think that there's very honest communication that can be very painful and very direct and very confronting but there's a safety in that like we feel safe enough to say those things and then you know either either disagree or agree or create a new format in which to begin again and i think the other really key thing is that it's the immediate forgiveness we are not carrying a bank account of tallying going forward so if I say I'm sorry and I accept this responsibility and I am vowing to shift the way I enter into the energetic makeup uh, should it be encountered again. The goal is like I am his greatest advocate. He is my most cherished, beloved. And so my goal is to serve him. My goal is not to be right. My goal is to serve him, and so if he's saying I need it this way, I'm, I'm like yes, my love, yes, my love, and if I'm like, when you do that, like I seriously like it is not good. He's like, let me, I am sorry, I will reflect reflect on that. I will shift my behavior next time, and he seriously does does it. So. I've been in a relationship where someone's just like, well, screw off. You know, see ya. You know, it's easy for us to do that. It's a lot harder to go, okay. You know, because the, the question isn't whether you're right or not. The question is you have these two in, different energies that are trying to interact, and how can each energy be the most supportive to the other? And, and, looking at what is right instead of looking at what is wrong. Like if you talk about Christ energy in action, not Christ as a Christian, but Christ as Jesus Christ, the the being who brought these principles and held this vibration for planet earth of compassion, of love, of goodness, you know, for all. What is Christ's principle? It's holding somebody in that vision while they work out getting there, like so they can vibrate up to it. But I can sit here all day and talk about everything that's wrong with Luke, and I'm not in Christ's service. I'm in fact creating to the downfall of you. I'm in fact in a satanic, it's actually the Antichrist. For me to always see what's wrong is not Christ's behavior. So if I'm your partner and you're my beloved, and I'm your, you know, you're my most cherished, you know, romantic liaison or, you know, love. I'm going to hold you there. I mean, no, no, no. Luke Luke is a is a beautiful emanation of God. And he may have experienced this situation because he was feeling his edges. But he's coming here. He's coming here. And then that's where the connect... And of course... As parents or as a mother, you do that with your kids all the time. I mean, you know, I'm a fierce guardian of my kids. So if you can apply that to your partner, you're you're gonna be right a lot less, but you're gonna be really happy.
1: God, being right is painful. <laughs> the price you have to pay to get that, to get that little juice out of like, ah, I won I'm the right. argument. I was oh right. God, right. so short-lived. Mm-hmm. That's um, that's brilliant and beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Hello. And what are you? You mentioned the the container that you have in your relationship and your commitment to one another, and that you both are very interdependent. And you go off and travel and live your own mm-hmm. lives and don't see each other for days on end. What are your views in terms of um, commitment and exclusivity with mm-hmm. monogamy and polygamy and all of this stuff? We live in a very sex positive culture mm-hmm. now uh, in many ways, and I've explored all the different. Mm-hmm. I think configurations of relationship i 've mm-hmm. finally settled on what I think my vision is for my highest good. Where are you guys with that?
0: We are completely monogamous, um, always have been, and in my experience, sexual energy is spiritual energy is creative energy it 's all the same it 's a very uh, precious, coveted, powerful energy. And again, not something that I want to be careless with. So I don't feel that anything goes is really the, is really the highest. I'm sure for some life forms that might, that might work for somebody. But I would say it's not been my experience. So I think sexual energy uh, entered into in a sacred way, which there is a lot of work You know, a lot of room for us to come online in this way. It is the most precious thing you can experience. And so, if you know it's the most powerful, precious, delicate, refined, magnificent, you know, finest, finest energetic that you could share, who are you sharing it with? When you share it, there is a karmic tie up of energy. So it's not nothing. It's actually so, a lot of something. Is it ever? And and <laughs> oh, when you're man. doing it, it's careless, you're just literally, and many of us have entity attachments in the sexual um, energetic makeup. And that is what is leading, like the whole sexual play is just low vibe. And, you know, I'm not a prude. I'm totally into sexuality. Like I'm in, you know, but, um i'm ready for a higher expression of it i'm ready to bring back the finer aspects of this spiritual expression that can be passionate and and torrid and all of those things that are beautiful you know about it however entered into with intention with what we did guarded as your most sacred energy And understanding that when we participate in pornography at any level, we are perpetuating violence against the children on our planet. And that is just the truth. There is a massive, massive billion-dollar energy of sexual predators on this planet. Uh, We don't even know the half of it, of what's going on underneath our noses. This is not the divine vision for our children so if you're somebody who's like, I need pornography because that's what I need, you are perpetuating that experience for the children of planet Earth. And these children deserve more. They deserve more from us. It's just, it always kind of made me giggle that for for 99% of humanity, I think, the highest experience is to get off with a, with a human orgasm that lasts, what, a minute or something like that. I'm just like, no, not that it's awesome, you know, yay. But I mean, come on, man, like we can use that. And part of like my own work is like by having that experience, if you enter into it in a ceremonial way at that moment of climax, um, you can draw that energy back up into your heart and release it into your head and expand it. It's like, bring it up like we don't need for it to be down here we need it up we need to use that up to open these channels so that we can expand and i find that another another i think reason that sexuality is so out of balance is we are suppressed creatively because in my own experience my own boys they were musicians at a very young age and they were prolifically writing and playing music all day and they never went through any you know any need any pursuit anything like that at that age and you know maybe if we were more creatively expressed we wouldn't be looking to fulfill it in that way especially with people that don't care for us that don't have a high vibration you know and i really don't I think it's a very, very precious, intimate experience. It's not. It's so not nothing. So when I was raised, it was like, oh, you know, Cosmo, anything goes, and you know, women should just be free, and it just never, never, never resonated with me. It's just That's, not, just not light at all. There's nothing light about it.
1: You know, uh, it took me a long time to get there mm-hmm. to have the experience that this is not light, and it's not just nothing, and it. I have to have a really high degree of, again, that discernment and prudence mm. about how I'm spending that energy. It took me a long ass time. And I always used to think that it was just women that were sensitive to it because mm. I seemed to have impunity. <laughs> like,
0: you had no reaction. That's I ran
1: rampant. Thing. It's just like, as long as I was honest and forthright and wasn't being manipulative or, you know, just, if I wasn't being unconscious and just being a dick, I could... Right. Pretty much do what I want. We're in agreement here, right? We know what this is. Cool. And I was unscathed. So I thought for a long time. And Mm -hmm. then I think, honestly, through a lot of Kundalini yoga, that energy that you're talking about moved up and my heart opened and my mind expanded. And all of a sudden, and just maybe just some maturity too, that just happens, Mm -hmm. I guess, eventually by natural uh, evolution. But I started to have that experience where it couldn't just be nothing. And I'm not Mm -hmm. just became so not interested in trying to have a more shallow experience. Mm. So I really, I appreciate your perspective. And I just, I'm so right there. And I believe that that is absolutely true. And that any human being that's in the process of evolution consciously is eventually going to get where you just, mm. is going to arrive at what you just described. I yeah. think that's, it's a mature way to integrate that part of yourself in a, in a way that serves mm-hmm. your evolution rather than, um, rather than um, stifling it, right. you know, which, or, which it did for me. I mean, I'm like, oh my God, if I would have had the... Like now, the way that I view pornography, and again, me, I'm not a prude either. I've right. I've had a wild-ass life mm-hmm. sexually. I mean, anyone mm-hmm. that knows me personally knows I've been very free.
0: Everybody's commenting. <clears throat> yeah, yeah.
1: No. I've been <laughs> probably too free, and I apologize to anyone I was too free with. But, but pornography, oh my God. I have all... And I want to take credit, but I have been kind of the forerunner with all of my group of friends that are in their thirties and forties and we're all off pornography. So cool. Like none of my guy friends do it because we've all, we talk about these things and we're all in you know recovery in one way or another. And it's just, again, not a moral thing, a judgment thing. Uh I used to work in the sex industry. I mean, I get it. Um, no judgment, but energetically, it's so fucked up. It's low vibe. It just is. I'm yeah. sorry. Like it just, for right. me, it doesn't work for me. And all of my male friends uh, in that are in relationships, marriages, um, it's just been the best thing ever for their relationships mm-hmm. to get off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my couple of friends that are single still, they swear by, mm-hmm. you know, um, I guess you could say like, porn sobriety or I Mm -hmm. don't even just have a name abstinence yeah we're just all of us are like oh no done like it's it's just over and Mm -hmm. I've been like it's 15 months now it's taken me 20 years of weaning off Mm -hmm. of it Mm -hmm. because even back in the day I mean I knew like oh this makes me feel gross right yeah but I still was getting that relief Mm -hmm. out of it as medicine yeah um you know, the dopamine hit. And uh, yeah. so it took me a long time to where I could say 100% unequivocally under a lie detector test that I do not engage with it. Right. Um, not for moral reasons, but just, oh my God, the sense of freedom. You know, like I was saying earlier with being out of debt and just changing my relationship to mm-hmm. money and cash flow and abundance and changing my relationship with pornography and, and sexuality in general. It's just, oh my God, I live in a different world. Yeah, Not being driven by that in any way. It's just, oh my, I can't believe the sense of emotional balance that I have and mental balance and self-love and respect and being able to just hold my head high. And I don't know, there's a weird thing guys get, and I've talked to many men. When you use porn, it does something, the shamey, weird thing to you. Where the next day, like, <laughs> I, I, I've tracked this for years because I feel weird. And I go, I don't feel good. And then I go, oh, it's oh. because I I used that mm. shit. And it's like, you, you we always talk about it. you'll go into Starbucks or something. There's a cute girl. And like, you can't look her in the eyes. Mm. You feel all weird and you can't put your finger on it. It's just, you've been invaded by this toxic, creepy energy. How this cool. It's Just horrible. How yeah, cool I that feel, you're in touch with it. I feel so stupid stoked. So beautiful. And you enunciated it Mm. and framed it in such a beautiful Mm. way. So thank you. I think there's a lot of value in that. Mm -hmm. And again, a a topic that, you know, like I would have never talked about this two years ago (laughs) on a podcast. Are you (laughs) kidding me? How embarrassing. But again, now I'm on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I have something to offer and, and, Having just touched on this a few times, so many men have reached out to Mm -hmm. me that listen to this show and my stuff. And they're like, oh my God, thank you for talking about that. I quit it too. And so cool. Fuck that. Like let's break free from that, that prison and have actual meaningful interactions Mm -hmm. that are based on intimacy and love. And it's a really positive thing to be able to share.
0: So cool. It's amazingly awesome to hear. I want to make an also um, an observation and that is, Earlier in my spiritual travels, like a friend of mine um offered to me that if you're enlightened or if you've reached a, a certain state of awareness that you would know that a sign of that would mean you would no longer desire sex. And I completely disagree with this God, I hope not. Yeah, I'm, I completely I'm stop meditating. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I completely disagree with it. And one one thing that I want to offer again is this is where individual choice comes into it. So You could have complete awareness and choose to engage in sexuality either alone with a beloved, you know, in ceremony. Uh, It's not, it doesn't mean that if you become aware and enlightened that you have to give up your humanity. In fact, we are embodying uh, this, you know, solar energy, advanced energy within the body. We're here to be in the body. So we are going to be human beings. We're going to have preferences. We're going to have attributes, abilities, challenges. But I just want to make that point. But I because I think when we talk about awareness or a stage of enlightenment, or, you know, or you know, it goes on forever. So I mean to call it enlightenment, it's like it's just like what what level are you at? Because the, you know, the scene just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So it'll just go on eternally. So I just want to say that, you know. Gaining awareness is an expansion of what it means to be a human being. It's not a contraction, it's an expansion,
1: absolutely. And I love the idea of not uh denying the physical form no it's It's like that thing. Something that I struggled with for a long time was this vilification of ego, mm. and in my initial explorations into spirituality, it was like, okay, ego bad spiritual guy good. So I have to get rid of this ego. And and upon, upon further sort of research and development of my understanding, I've totally come to embrace my ego because it's, the way I contextualize it is it's part of the animal body. It's part of the human experience. Like my dog sitting here, she has her little ego instincts and all her little needs in a different sense, obviously on a, you know, with a different level of um, mental uh, ability, but my sense of ego is like, okay, I want power, I want attention, I want security, I want sex, I want money, I want more food, I want sugar, I want all of this like satisfaction that the body wants to stay alive. And to deny, and sex, of course, included within that, to deny that is to actually deny the gift that God's given me in my embodiment and that the game is in building an awareness of it to the degree where you're its master, not the other way around. And it goes back to even in early, my early yogic training, you know, it's about like fucking Hatha yoga. You hold that pose, even though your ego is fighting it, your spiritual will will gain dominion over the body, but not vilify it and not demonize that part of yourself. And I think that this is a huge error in a lot of the uh, Judeo-Christian approaches to religion where this sin idea comes in and that if you sin, you're bad. And to me, sin is just, it's your ego just acted up a little bit and you did some uncool shit because you don't have dominion over your ego because you've been trying to fight a part of yourself that you can't get rid of if you're in a physical form. Mm -hmm. So I'm all for the expression of sexuality and eating great food and making some money and having a big, beautiful home and doing the human body instinct thing without it letting, not becoming a puppet of that. Would you be in alignment with yeah, that? Yeah,
0: total alignment of that. Does that make and it, sense? Yeah, it's very, very, if if I didn't have an ego, I wouldn't be in this life. I wouldn't even right. be here. So there has to be some aspect of ego for us to even be here. And I've I've come to love the parts of me, the part of me that loves to perform the part of me that loves to have the coolest pants in the room, I always will forever. (laughs) Like if I'm in the room, 10 people are coming up to me like, where did you get those pants? Like literally. And I always thought like, did you see Searching for Sugarman? That movie? Oh, um, remember he's like the musician who was famous in South Africa. Well, they go and they find him and he's like dressed up like, you know, Jimi Hendrix while he's painting the house. I'm like, dude, that's me. Like,
1: that guy was rad, yeah. Rigo, Red, Rodrigo, Rodrigo, yeah. Rodriguez or something. I think yeah, yeah, it's Rodrigo. badass, um, famous in South Africa yeah. only, and never, <laughs> yeah.
0: no, and never knew that he was. But oh, he, yeah, that's right. But that's he right. was a painter, just a house painter. But he always went like completely in his thing, like right. in his whole vibe. Right. And so the thing is, is it's like when I look at those parts of myself to, that like to perform, or let's even talk about you know photographing this form, like doing photo shoots and like. You know, styling them and setting them up and making them artful and all this stuff. I have to love that aspect because this form is an aspect of this divine life form that has taken a body this way. And so, on a surface level, you could say, "Well, she's she's an egomaniac," or like, "Why is she always taking pictures of herself?" Or you know, and even like my gurus, like you know, he loved to do, loved to see photos of himself. But but in fact, it's like it's a celebration of this form. And so, we if I'm not going to celebrate her, who is, who is, who really is? I mean, at the end of the day, because it's like, you know, I came in to master this form. And, and so that's, you know, that's something to, to cherish, to celebrate and to not be trying to change or trying to shame the natural parts of yourself, which is why I feel fully spiritually empowered to go into fashion in this new way. I mean, fashion could change the culture, right? And if it was seeped in ceremony and activated with these other qualities, what could fashion do as a movement? If it was made in, you know, not in mass the way that it is, but just an example, really, for people to then DIY their own threads, like in this cool way, right? Um, But the other thing that I wanted to make mention of is I think it's very difficult to be. Uh, it's it's a it 's a thankless job in a sense to be a way shower or a guru or a teacher or a bringer of the light because everybody that 's listening to you they have all of their senses coming at you and they 're- tr- they 're suspiciously trying to find the one place where you might be full of shit right and that 's good because it 's good to be skeptic it 's good to it 's good to have that skepticism. But what I would like to offer people is be careful that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because every spiritual teacher, just like every human being, can have a treasure for you, can have a, a gift for you, for you to pick up that one point and add it to your own design or your own necklace or whatever it is. And don't, there'll be things in every human embodiment that will not add up, you know, that will just be a contradiction. And you know, at a future episode.
1: Like my swearing. Like your swearing. <laughs> Teach someone to meditate and be like, this is a fucking great meditation, <laughs> right? And they're exactly. like, what? Wait, right. what just happened? You just said that. <laughs>
0: um, and this is this is what I would like to do a series on wild, wild country. I oh would my God. I have been dying. <laughs> I think you might be a great candidate to do this with. I would I've been looking for the right person that, that has so the awareness. That documentary has so much richness in it and it's very very useful because it's good for us to understand that when you are merged in the divine mind and you are bringing in a body of wisdom at that level there are many other things that are going on and it's just it's a it's a bunch of gray matter i mean and that movie is so horrifying on so many levels i mean crazy and also the filmmakers sort of missed it because they never presented the brilliance of what the entity was bringing through. Right, I which see, is I didn't,
1: I didn't get. I didn't get that, and and for some reason, Osho's always eluded me. Osho to me is always like, oh yeah, that's the guru all the women are into. Like I just I've never known any dudes been... that are about Osho. Right, we, I just missed his radar field somehow. Right. Um, but in that series, I, this is the documentary she's referring to you guys, um, documentary series on Netflix, Wild Wild Country. It's um, the
0: Duplass Brothers. Yeah, I never
1: got his message no. out of it. And I was like, mm-hmm. well, why is everyone at the ashram? Mm-hmm. I want to see the magic. And I never got, I mean, I guess it's part of the, the mystique of it, but... Mm-hmm you never really know if he's kind of in on it with homegirl or if right. she just went fucking power mad and went nuts and he right. was innocent and just being chill.
0: But what I want to know... I don't, I don't know. What I want to know is who was sewing those outfits for him? <laughs> I know, right? so dope. <laughs> so dope. literally... Speaking of Guru Garb, like that. However, yeah. I know multiple people who were in that community. Really? Personally, yeah. And I have read many of his books and I have to say that he was speaking divine truth, in my estimation, 92% of the time. And then there would be an 8% where I would just, I would be like, yes, my whole body vibrating. Yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden he'd say something and I'd be like, uh-uh. Like, no. Like, what do you mean? Like, it, yeah. there was a weird disconnect.
1: Yogi but, Bhajan is like that for me too. Really, N- Not such a high ratio in yeah. his favor. It's,
0: oh, no, it's kind of yeah, 50-50.
1: Well, yeah, 50-50, you know, <laughs> half the shit, it's like today eat 45 pounds of peas and it'll open your pineal gland. I'm like, really dude? Like, <laughs> where is this download coming from? I just, some of it's a little tough for me to grasp and I'm very receptive, but um, uh-huh. yeah, a lot of the Yogi Bhajan stuff. Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. That sounds like bullshit. <clears throat> I'm sorry. And then there'll be some nuggets that are amazing. Yeah. Like one of my favorites of his is um, if you don't, what is it? If you, if you don't see God in everything, you don't see God in anything or something. Mm-hmm. I might even have it wrong, but mm-hmm. something to the idea that even the evil and everything that we see sure. is all in the container mm-hmm. of God. So there's some profound nuggets of wisdom, but a lot of things that I'm like, really? Dude? Yeah, <laughs> really. Just, I'm You're not like, on board. Uh, uh, come yeah, on. Yeah.
0: But what's good is again, is it's good that we're talking about this because you just have to use your discernment. And in human Human behavior—we tend to want to make everything one way. Like, oh, you're perfect, or I'm going to put you on a pedestal until I t- rip you down and throw you in the gutter. Right. And the point of the matter is, just chill out, man. Just listen, <laughs> yeah. listen, and just take what serves you, and stop trying to make everybody all good or all bad. You know, I'm not interested in being put on a pedestal to be ripped down. Like, I know what's coming after that. right? And you know, one of my gurus used to say, don't, don't bow down and kiss my feet because I know it's coming after that. Wow! You know, literally don't do that. Yeah. And, and so just, yeah, just, you know, use, use what serves you, leave the rest and be, be neutral, loving, compassionate and create your own path because your path to enlightenment is going to be unique to you and you alone. It's your life. I'm not responsible for anybody else's life. I'm only responsible for mine. And I am responsible for mine. So that's the purpose of having these kind of talks.
1: Hot damn. (laughs) I just remembered the actual quote. Okay. And maybe we'll close on this. If you don't see God in all, you don't see God at at all. all. Boom. Mm -hmm. There it is. Thank you, Yogi Bhajan. That's the 50% that I believe in. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. Aww, this Luke. has been an awesome conversation. I, I'm glad that I warned you that I said, I think we're probably going to need two or three hours. I don't know why. Sometimes yeah. an hour, I bang it out. We're good. Like we covered the thing. Um, there were things that we we missed. I mm. wanted to go into a little more of the... the um, Conscious parenting that you've done, but mm. I think we might need another couple hours just for that down yeah. the road and yeah. unschooling and homeschooling. Mm. I really wanted to cover that, but the universe did not want that to be discussed in great detail. But exactly. I think we've we've really created some value here. So thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you. Um, I am actually working on an online uh, quick. I'm pr- trying trying to put together a home uh, homeschooling product, like a oh, like a nice. like a PDF and then uh, audio cause I have a lot of young parents reaching out to me and I don't want them to have to wait for a publish, a publishing situation. Right. So I'd love to down the road, come back on. And then I for also sure. wanted to ask you,
1: maybe I'll be hitched up by then and ready to have a kid. that'd hey, <laughs> really, that that would be really good. It'll be great. There's no fucking way I'm sending a kid of mine to school. Like yeah, that ain't okay. going to happen.
0: Well, we'll talk about all of that yeah, or at least I'm, not
1: a traditional.
0: School. I totally, uh, I totally feel you on that. Um, I would really like to, at some point, have a complete dissection of Wild Wild Country. I think it would be awesome.
1: Oh, my God. And you
0: would be amazing to do it with. So, I don't know. Think I'm about totally that. i totally
1: game. Okay. I could watch that series 50 times. I did, too. Everything <laughs> about it is just... <laughs>
0: Me too. Every, so compelling. Every
1: five minute segment exactly. of each of the many episodes is just like, wait, what? what? I yeah. Know. It's just insane. And also that I, you know, I was living in Northern California in the early eighties with my mom. That's right before I got sent to my own kind of cult boarding school. That was not dissimilar in many ways. And wow. I'm like, whoa, all that time that right up the road in Oregon, that shit was going down. So yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Uh, my closing question for you mm-hmm. is, um, I honestly, and I say this to all the guests, like, oh, I've learned so much today with you. I'm rolling my eyes, guys. Sometimes I learn a lot. Sometimes it's just a cool conversation. But honestly, I've been listening like a fucking student here today. I've learned so much. Mm -hmm. So who have been three teachers or teachings that you might send our audience to for further inquiry?
0: Hmm. The three people that come to my mind are personages who have been sort of my soulmates in my lifetime. And they're kind of a diverse group, but I guess I'll just say them. The first one is Yogananda, so Autobiography of a Yogi. Uh, It's a classic. He's a consciousness that is connected with everything that I do. And it's not through the Self-Realization Center. It's through other experiences. Very, very deep soul connection with this being. Um, The second one is Charlie Chaplin.
1: Wow, that's I've heard Yogananda on the show, not Chaplin. Though. That's good.
0: Yeah, Charlie Chaplin. It's it's this knowing that I share some energy with him, and I don't know why. Um, I feel like I know him in another time space. Someone who came from a very traumatic childhood with his mom being crazy and living on the streets and being an orphan, and rising into what he created in comedy in music. Literally changed the face of culture. One of the first people to speak out against, you know, Nazism. I mean, wow. an incredible being. Wow. And, and also, you know, accused of pedophilia or like, you know, but in my experience... He was a child. His 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 growth was stopped on the streets when he was an orphan, when his mom was crazy. And so it wasn't that he was like that. It was like that was the age that he related to. And later he married Una, who was his beloved for many years. And they had like 11 kids or something. Like, I mean, that life to me is like a... Mwah. Like, what a beautiful life. How
1: interesting. I didn't know anything about him other than yeah, the, the just, little hat, the dance, the jig, and the mustache. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm wrote, totally he, ignorant of yeah, his whole I mean, scene.
0: Incredible. And cool. And then the third one is Isaac Dennison, who was the author who wrote Out of Africa and, and, you know, the subject of that movie. And she was a very successful writer, you know, when women were not revered and, she uh traveled you know from europe and and had a farm in africa and just a, a woman that signifies courage and and setting like pushing the boundaries for other people behind so it's not exactly three spiritual oh no it's, texts, fine. but yeah those are three beings that for some reason um I feel as if I know them, and they their lives have served as treasured lanterns for me. Awesome. And so I honor them and I thank them.
1: And so do we. And thank you for the creative answer. I, I always I always ask, I've never missed one, which is crazy because mm-hmm. sometimes I can be forgetful. But uh, I'm always pleasantly surprised at some people's <laughs> answers. They're so random. Like Charlie Chaplin, really? There's the obvious ones. Like people will say Jesus, Yogananda, mm-hmm. some of the big figures, but that's very cool. Okay, uh, in closing, where can people find you? Website, social media, anything you want to okay, link to? Okay, so
0: if you want to connect with me further subscribe to my podcast, Divine Line. It's on iTunes under Srimati, S-R-I-M-A-T-I. I listened
1: uh, this morning to a beautiful meditation mm. exercise that you led on your podcast. I thought nice. that was a really cool format. Yeah, Thank
0: you. Well, in the beginning, I, I would do an episode and then a healing technique along with it. Then I kind of uh, got out of that for a little bit. So like I said, I'm launching a new format that is going to have uh, a very fleshed out episode that's more like the monthly theme. And then there'll be original music, um, but I'm creating this kind of new music that is for activating soul memory. So it's a lot of sounds and sort of uh, I would say meditation, but cool. not. It's actually both. It'll the one be pop I listened to well. today
1: was uh, it was like the humming, uh, oh, the humming I mean, yeah, meditation cool. or whatever. Yeah, it was awesome. cool. I awesome. was making my morning smoothie, so I didn't do it, but I yeah, listened to I listened the music to it. and it was uh, vibing. Yeah, it was cool.
0: Ah, uh, cool. Thanks. And then you can find me uh, so that, so the podcast then will, it'll, it'll be like a format. Um, you can find out everything else about me at Srimati.com. Follow me on Instagram at Srimati. And I have my album. Uh, so I'm going to be doing more music. So it's on iTunes and CD Baby. Um, I have two albums that I recorded with my boys over a seven-year period, Jai Home and Mother of Mine. And then- You're on Spotify too. Yeah, it's Spotify. Exactly. Yeah. And then- Divine through line. Uh, I do retreats with my beloved Rich Roll, and it's ourplantpowerworld.com, or you can find it via my site. We're going to Italy next year. Uh, we go to Italy every May. It's off the hook, crazy week of transformation. And then we're also we have a Kenya trip. It's How not, many
1: people go on on those retreats? Usually
0: thirty three and ten crew. So wow. it's thirty-three people. You bring
1: your crew over from here. Yeah,
0: ten of us, and it wow. includes my sons and Damn, my assistant. That's,
1: I've I've seen that on yeah. Rich's site or I've it's yeah. been in the in the you know in my periphery at some point.
0: Yeah,
1: I'm just like God. That sounds like such a daunting um, production. That's amazing. It's you guys have been able so to so amazing.
0: You've been
1: able to refine that and make yeah. that happen. It's
0: really super meaningful. It's been extraordinarily amazing use of time. Um I'm gonna be in Miami in November for my own solo retreat. It's the second time that I'm doing it at Sacred Space. And I'm also Oh, have you done anything there yet? Yeah, I did a retreat last February. Beloved oh, cool. there. Cool. Yeah, yeah. They just
1: contacted me about doing some stuff. It looks like a neat scene it's a they have going on. Beautiful
0: space. Cool. Yeah, they're really great people. Cool. You should do it. That's awesome. totally cool. Um, so you can find out that info on my site or Conscious City Guide. And then also I'm gonna I'm starting a very um, exclusive mastery transformation where I'm taking five to eight people deep off the cliff. Um, and I'm going to be doing that on the island of Gozo in Malta.
2: Wow. I did a
0: retreat in Malta last year. I have a deep past life connection to that land. And the rock is very ancient, older where than Egypt. Where is Malta? Is
1: that in the Mediterranean? Yeah,
0: or it's uh, it's below Sicily. It's a little teeny island in south of Italy. And Godzo is very primitive, like white rock and the most incredible scenery. So I'm going to be doing really like a life initiation that includes a you know programming of a crystal and an actual talisman painting. That's a soul activation. It's like a portal activation of the soul. So it's um, it's a big it's a big one. Um and gonna be for just a select people. So I'll be announcing that in the in the following That's days. That's
1: awesome. How inspiring. Yeah. So cool. You so have all this cool. stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, I got
0: I've like I'm like you. I have like, you know, 15 things at once. That's one amazing.
1: Time. That's okay. amazing. All right, cool. Nice. Well, thanks again for joining us on the show. Thank you. We're gonna get you out of here. You can go to uh go to the getty to the and see getty. your friend. We'll pack this junk up and get out of here. Awesome. I'm ready to go to air one and get some grub on. Huh? Absolutely. That's what's up, Mikey. All right. Thanks again, thanks, and Luke. Uh, look forward to seeing you for part two. And we'll do a deep dive on your your parenting experience. Awesome. Uh, I think you have a lot to share there. Your kids mm. seem very lit and conscious, so I mm. want to know how you did that.
0: Okay. Thanks, Luke. Blessings. You too. Mm-hmm.
1: As we bring this conversation to a close, I'd like to personally reach out from my heart to yours, and thank you so much for joining me on the Lifestylist Podcast. Whether this is a return visit for you or a first-time visit for you, welcome one and welcome all. It's such a gift to be able to share amazing personalities like Mati, Julie Pyatt with you. And so uh, I want to thank you. I want to encourage you to share this show with a couple friends. It's really easy to do that now. It used to be hard. Back in the day when I started this podcast, I think there was like 10 steps to text a freaking episode to a friend, now you can actually click on the episode on the bottom right. You'll see a couple little dots there and it says share and it allows you to post on social media, to text the link, to copy the link, to email the link. It's super easy. So if you don't mind, uh, now that you've gotten the benefit from this episode yourself, if you could just share it with a couple friends, it's a really easy and fast way for you to make a very meaningful contribution to the show. I'd love for more people to find out about Julie and her work. I'd love for more people to find out about the lifestylist podcast so I can keep this train on the rails. You know what I'm saying? So share it with a friend. I'd also love to give a shout out to our sponsors, without whom this show and every show to follow would literally be impossible because I ain't paying for the production cost of this show anymore. I started doing that for the first six months and I realized like, whoa this is hella expensive. I could support a family somewhere in, a, in, a, <laughs> in an impoverished country for how much it costs to run the show. So hence, we've got our, um, our sponsors. And I love our sponsors because I use all their products and they're all real and legit. I will never, I swear, if I ever do this, somebody please report me somewhere or shut me down. I will never run ads for companies that I don't believe have, if not the best, one of the best products in their class. Uh, you know, there's of course, um, the best is a, um, a moving target and is somewhat subjective, but everyone that um, supports the show in terms of sponsors, I believe they're the best at what they do. And I use their stuff. Uh, the first of which being I'll tear up here. I use their stuff. Yeah. I sleep with them every night See, see the, see how sponsorship works. No, but seriously, I sleep on Altera Pure sheets every night. I love them. I even have a spare pillowcase, an Altera Pure, totally crazy level organic, the most natural, softest, high quality sheets ever. I have a spare pillowcase that I keep on my Semina pillow and I take that on the airplane. It's like my boinky, but I really do. I can't fly without an airplane. Um, I'm taking a road trip to Lake Tahoe tomorrow to go to the Amp Coil Summit. And I'll be bringing my uh, Samina pillow, which is like this amazing natural wool pillow. It's like $350, it's next level. But it's the only pillow I've ever found that doesn't make my neck hurt. Every other pillow in the world that I've ever used hurts my neck, except this pillow. It's even better with this super soft organic Altera Pure uh, pillowcase on it. So you can find these for yourself and sleep on a natural organic bed that's super soft and very high-end. Go to alterapure.com. When you get over there and put some stuff in your cart, you're going to see a little discount code box. Enter this word, all one word, lifestylist, and you'll save 15%. That's alterapure.com. And use the code lifestylist to save 15%. There's two R's in alterapure, by the way. Next is Biome. That's B-I-O-H-M. Go to biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist. Use the code lifestylist there and save 15% off of your gut biome test. That's right. You can get a test where they're going to send you a little kit and you, I mean, this sounds kind of gross, but it just is what it is. You wipe your butt and you, I hope you're not eating. Put down your food right now. You wipe your butt and you swab a little piece of dewy and you put it inside a vial and you mail it back to the folks at Biome. They analyze it not only for the good and bad bacteria, but also your fungal levels. Turns out it's really important in your gut biome—not just the bacteria, but also the balance of fun—is it fungi, 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 mushrooms in your butt? They measure. The fungal load and tell you what you're missing. And then they send you probiotics that have that stuff in it. It's very cool. So that's biomehealth.com, spelled B-I-O-H-M, like biomehealth.com forward slash lifestylist. Use the code lifestylist and save 15% off your test and off their probiotics and the other products they offer. Awesome company. Next up, we've got Organifi. And, you know, here's how I do it. I do the Organifi green in the morning, straight up every single damn day. And then I do Organifi gold most nights, not every night, because I don't always have an elixir at night, because like right now it's 10, 12, and I'm recording this outro and I need to be going to bed. So I probably won't make it tonight. But a few nights a week, I have that Organifi gold and it's super chronic and amazing. So go to Organifi.com forward slash Luke. Organifi is of course spelled with an I, not a Y. Organify.com forward slash Luke. Enter the code again, same code on this one, one word, lifestylist, and you'll save a fat ass 20% off your order. So there you go. There's our three sponsors, Organifi, Biome, and Alterra Pure. Love those companies. Please support them, save yourself some money, integrate some healthy products uh, into your life and uh, be living the dream. All right, so here's what's up. I want to uh, make an announcement about a couple events in case you didn't catch them in the intro. I want to remind you, if you go to lukestory.com forward slash events, you can get yourself access to a lot of super cool stuff I'm doing coming up. The Biohacking Lounge and talk I'll be doing at Mercado Sagrado October 13th and 14th here in Los Angeles. I'll be out in New York City October 25th doing a panel at Whitma Live. And then I'll have my birthday workshop called The High Love Experience that I'll be presenting at Rama in New York City. That's going to be a very special evening. There's a lot of energy building up for that. So again, go to lukestray.com forward slash events. And then uh, another reminder to catch the show next Tuesday called Deuterium Depletion, the most powerful health... De- <clears throat> I'm not even going to edit that out. I'm just going to have the blunder and own it. It's a hard title to say. Next week's show is Deuterium Depletion, the most powerful health hack you've never heard of with Dr. Q Collins and Dr. Laszlo Boros, two amazingly brilliant guys. And my job is to translate their super geeky scientific medical uh, information to something you can apply to your life. But that's a seriously important health-related show next Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe, share these shows with a couple friends, Hit up those sponsors, get yourself some good stuff, and I will catch you next Tuesday right back here in your eardrums. This episode of the Lifestylist Podcast was produced by PodcastMasters.net.